The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. We're up. What's happening, brother? How you doing? Good, man. How you been? Very good to see you. Excited, man. It's one of those milestones that you you achieve. It's like oh, oh come on here. To, oh, I get to talk ridiculous. to Joe Rogan. Yeah, that's I'm hilarious. Like... <laughs> that's hilarious, man. Well, it's it's an honor to have you on. I appreciate I, you. No, I appreciate I'm you. I'm a big fan. Uh, you're in a great spot right now, man. You're you're on the run. You're like you're you're there. You're like at the fucking door. You yeah, know? it's been a long road. It's like yeah. When I look back at it, where where I've been, where I'm at right now, like you still don't even like believe it, but it's like. I still need to get over that hurdle where people still don't believe in you. Still, people are still looking for excuses of why you beat this guy, why you beat that guy, why you don't deserve the title shot. But isn't that always the case? And then all of a sudden you're the fucking man. Like that was Charles Oliveira, right? For the yeah. longest time, people thought, oh, he falls apart, he falls apart. And then all of a sudden everybody had to go, you know what? He's the fucking man, you know? Until Islam got a hold of him, he was, you know, he was like a, a completely different entity than he was like back when Cub Swanson knocked him out. Yeah, when you look at the way his career is, the way he, mm-hmm. like people don't give him enough credit for that, and the way he yeah. dominated some of the best guys. Oh my god! Once he was in his title reign, when he beat Gaethje, the the way he beat Chandler, I mean, my yeah. god! But you mean now people know how good a slam is. I people know. weren't respecting him the same way. I feel like I'm not getting respected, and then yeah. now when he plays with him like that, beats him on the feet, and then finishes him on the ground. I think that now people are realizing, all right, well, Islam isn't all talk. Like when DC and all of them are saying that, like he's going to be better than Habib, now they're realizing it. Anybody who said it was all talk is a fool. If you watch the way he submitted Drew Dober, he just smushed him. Yeah. I'm like, there was no getting up there. There was It was just a, a matter of time before he put the smush down on him. Training with those guys, I tell people, I'm like, if you never train with the guys from Dagestan, from somebody on their team, you don't know what it feels like. It's not it's not regular jiu-jitsu. Like, it's like quicksand where you're in there, you think you're moving, you're looking for a way out. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really good at flow rolling and everything, and I'm training with them my last camp, and I'm like, I cannot move to the, with these guys. None of them. Like, everybody on their team has that same style, same uh, uh, pressure on top, and I'm feeling it, and I'm like, I need to change what I do in Chicago. I need to change what I'm doing because – these guys are so dominant with the way they play, the way they uh, grapple. It's like they're going to beat everybody. Nobody's going to mess with them. What is the difference? For Well, for the mentality, I think, is a big thing, too. Uh, you know, when you're rolling with somebody new, you, you'll get a flow roll with them. You'll play around to see how they're feeling. Uh, with them, they don't have that at all. It's I'm not going to lose a round. I'm not going to lose a minute when I'm going against you. If I'm going to – this is our first time rolling with each other – you know, I'm on my back. I'm going to my back, starting on my back, and I'm like, all right, let's let's move. So I'm trying to play like uh, guard, trying to go for armbar or anything like that. And then Khabib just yelling at me, "Get up! We're not playing jujitsu. This is get up. This is MMA. We're not playing jujitsu. Not a, you're you're on your back. You're losing." And their mentality is, "Let me hold you down because I'm not going to lose this round. I'm going to stay on top of you. I don't care if I'm in your guard the whole time mm. and I'm just staying on top of you with pressure. You just lost." Even though the, the round's over, I'm sitting there like, man, we haven't done anything. It's like I'm just laying on my back. You haven't done any pressure, no ground upon or anything. But I just lost because I'm on my back. And right. I figured that's their mentality. They don't want to lose any round in practice. They don't want to lose uh, any minute in grappling. If they mm. get taken down, they're popping right back up. It's not, let me get taken down. Let me play on my back a little bit. Let me flow a little bit like that. No, mm. it's rough, hard, 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 hard. And I think that's what transfers their mentality into the, the, the cage when there's no... There's no let me warm up here. It's like right into it. Khabib goes in there, he grabs you, he holds you down. You don't you never felt it before because his strength is another level, and that's why I feel like a lot of these guys break once they feel it. 
I would be really interested to see. I mean, the the best guy off his back, arguably in the lightweight division, is Oliveira. And Oliveira really couldn't do anything with Islam. I mean, he really, he he gave, you know, some difficulties. He made it, he got into the second round. It was like, it was work, but he didn't really threaten, you know, where he threatens everybody off his back. That's the thing about Oliveira is like, he'll catch you on the feet and he'll trade with you on the feet because if you drop him, he like gladly goes to his back to invite you into his guard. Yeah. But with Islam, he couldn't do a damn thing. Yeah, a lot of those guys before Islam were afraid to go to the ground with him. Like mm-hmm. Gaethje dropped yeah. him a couple of times, Chandler dropped him, and then, like they stood up. It's because you you had you had that fear with Islam. Yeah. It was like I don't care. He's gonna feel what it is on the ground. Like they always yeah. say, Sambo is better than Jiu-Jitsu, and he just has that mentality. Like I want to beat you at your own game. And the way he tapped him out from half guard with that arm triangle, I'm like nobody's ever treated Oliveira like that. But that squeeze must be another level. <laughs> yeah, I was rolling with like I would roll with him and that first week he's catching me with like an anaconda choke every time I'm going with him and it's just squeezing, squeezing, I'm like tapping and then Islam's nice. So like he'll sh- tell you like you need to do it, you need to do it this way and he'll show me the technique with it. When Habib's on top of you, he's like breaking me at every single point and I'm asking him for it to, no brother, you just got to keep going. And I'm like, "All right, cool." Uh, so the next time he does it, he's just on top of me again. He's like mounting me, then I'm turning, giving him my back, and then he's like just laughing as he's talking to the guys outside of the cage as he's on top of me, and I'm feeling like disrespected, but it's like, <laughs> this is not me. But like, at least like Islam, he'll be like, brother, do this way, do this. This right. is the way you get out of it. He's so giving by the, you some tips. Yeah, so by yeah. the third week, he wasn't catching me with any more, but his squeeze is just a different type of squeeze. They have a very, very disciplined camp, right? Like, you, you have to have your hair cut a certain way. Like, you, you can't be fucking around showing up with blue mohawks or <laughs> nothing crazy. Like, it's very disciplined, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the, the reasons why they're all successful, I feel. Like, when Habib walks into the room, it's it's like an army. We all get up. We all stand in line. He'll stand in line. He'll point to who's sparring hard in the cage because – it's a different type of sparring too, where normally for us, we have a sparring day in Chicago or most teams I've trained at, we'll have a sparring day like Monday or Wednesday where it's, for them, they're doing everything every day. It's small glove sparring every day. Then right after that, you're taking off the gloves and you're grappling every day. Then right after that, you're going in the cage and you're wrestling on the cage every single day. Small glove sparring every day. But it's it's light. So it's not where, where it's, you don't want to knock, you're not trying to knock each other out. Right. But then if he points to you, that you're going to your heart sparring, heart sparring, then you're going in the cage with big gloves on. Mm-hmm. And those guys are going, we're going hard and he's cornering. And then Javier Mendez is in there cornering. So it's, you're getting that real fight feel. For mm-hmm. me, I was down there with him for five weeks. So Habib would corner his guy. And my coach, Lewis Taylor, was down there with me with, uh, in Dubai. And he would corner me. So it's like, it's a real fight feel. The guys outside of the cage will sit there peek in. So you get those little nerves mm-hmm. that you would get uh, in a fight. And I'm sparring with somebody, his cousin Abu Becker, who's uh, also in the UFC welterweight. You're sparring with somebody you're really not used to. So you also still have that that tension that you feel like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. He's not one of my normal training partners where I know, well, he's got a good left kick or he got a good right. cross. I know what he's going to bring to the table. It's like, no, it's a real fight feel every single time because I don't know what he's going to bring to the table. He doesn't know what I'm going to bring to the table. And we have two corners cornering each other in there. So mm. when it's your hard sparring, you're in the cage. When it's not hard sparring, you're outside of the cage. You're doing a little bit of technique. Then it's light sparring going. So was this uh, camp going there and training there for five weeks, is that just a big change in the way you look at things and like a, an eye-opening experience? Yeah, because, you know, I'm a guy that I like to cross-train a lot. I, 
I'll go to a bunch of different gyms. I've been to Sanford MMA. I've been to Fortis. Uh, I've been to Canada before to train with Frost Hobby. And I want to get bring that knowledge back to my team and back to my coaches. Like, yo, these teams are successful. This is what they're doing. This is what we got to start doing too because we're a small gym in Chicago. And, you know, we, have, we had a world champion, Juliana Pena, with us. But still, you have to keep evolving. You have to keep trying to do what the best teams are doing and seeing how their team is, how disciplined they are. It's like none of the guys are going to show up late to practice. You're not going to show up late and smile and laugh. It's like once he lines everybody up, you better sprint there in that line because he's going to tell you what your duties are for that day. And then mm. when it's grappling, every single one of those guys is an amazing grappler. There's guys in there that you don't even know their name. They're still young, 19 years old, 18 years old. Uh, they're just starting, but they still had the same type of grappling as Khabib. They still feel super strong. And I'm like, who the heck is this guy? So I'll look up his name and I'm like, oh, 12 and 0, 15 and 0, 16 and 0. Mm. And the whole team is full of killers. But I just want to bring their mentality, I think, is a different type of mentality that a lot of gyms don't have of being more disciplined. And I think that comes from being Muslim. I think a lot of it comes from that is it just being religious. You're, you're bringing a different type of discipline where you have to pray five times a day and every single one of the guys is doing that. None of their guys are drinking. None of their guys are going out and partying. Mm. If there's guys that come to practice and they look a little bit tired, Khabib will take their phone away from them and he won't give it to them until the next day tomorrow morning. So he'll take their phone at night, 9 p.m., and then you have to go to sleep, get a good night's sleep, and then next practice he'll give you your phone back because you're probably on your phone all night playing games or something stupid. Mm -hmm. And he, he, like, he pays attention to those things. And the fact that he wants you to win that bad because he doesn't need to be there. He doesn't need to give you the knowledge. He doesn't need to care that much about you if you don't care about yourself. But it just shows you like how much of a, uh, a great person he is. Too, and it just makes you want to work that much harder for him. Well, just being around someone who is, if he's not the GOAT, I mean, is there a GOAT? I don't know. It, it might be Mighty Mouse. It might be John Jones. It could be Khabib. It's, it's in the, there's a conversation to be had for many fighters when they're in their, their prime. Like, but Khabib's the first one to really retire completely undefeated, where you, you can make the argument that even the rounds he lost, if he lost like one round against Connor, and maybe one round at another point in his career, they were barely, yeah. barely. They were like coasting rounds where he just like was refreshing himself and then comes back and dominates. Yeah. You know, I mean, so if you're training with a guy like that, like, fuck, man. Yeah. And I think that that's a big thing, too, is. You know, one time we were training in Vegas, and I have a, a, a Moroccan kickboxer that I trained with, and we were down there training with Habib's team, and he's sparring one of their guys. And, you know, he's a great kickboxer, and their guy's obviously a, a great grappler, but he has striking. So the first round, he's taking my guy down, beating him on the ground. And the second and third round, he's like, let me strike with him a little bit because the ground is kind of, like, too easy. So he's striking with him. My guy's landing hard kicks, hard punches, hard knees. And it could be just, like, stops him and, like, snaps at him, like, you took him down, you treated him like a baby. Like, why are you going to sit there and kickbox with a kickboxer? I don't care if this is practice. I don't care if this is sparring. The goal is to win. If you want to look stupid, you want to be dumb, then go against the plan. Go against the route that's going to help you win. He's like, and that, like, open your eyes too. It's like, he knows the path to victory. Mm. All their guys know the path to victory. It's, it's hard grappling, heavy grappling, and strength on the ground. It's like, why are you going to be dumb and spar with a Moroccan kickboxer for and ego. take that damage. Yeah, ego. Yeah, ego is a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. So many guys just decide to trade with people for no reason, and they wind up getting lit up when they really should be taking the guy down. Yeah, yeah. and I feel like that's what a lot of these newer guys coming up. Um, I was training with a Ohio State wrestler. He was in Vegas visiting, and he was like going to transition into MMA. And he was telling me like, yeah, you know, I, I like this gym, but uh, 
I, and you know, in wrestling, I'm killing the guys, but then I don't know nothing about sparring. So on sparring day, I'm telling these guys, like, you know, it's I'm still learning. And then D, he said, everybody's trying to throw hard at me because I'm killing them in wrestling. And I'm like, you got to find a gym where the guys don't have egos, where they're yeah. going to try to help you build yourself. Because if you're sparring hard and you don't really know how to take a punch or anything, you're only going to hurt yourself. Right. And you're going to get your ticket punched too many times. And then by yeah. the time you get into fights, I mean, there's quite a few guys that I know that by the time they have their first or second pro fight, they've already had six, seven concussions in the gym. You yeah. know, and like, man, like you're already at a deficit. Yeah, I look at yeah. when I go to gyms and I see guys like they're laughing about it. Like, oh, I gave, I knocked Chris out yesterday, man, and I'm, I'm looking at it like, wh- like why is that what you guys do? And it's, it changes my mentality because when I'm first coming up, I used to like would spar like 15 minute rounds, just nonstop boxing. And I'm now when I think back to it, I'm like it was so stupid because I know how to take a punch. Why am I gonna take a punch at practice mm. when I'm not getting paid for it? Like build yeah. the skills. And if you find the right training partners, and I feel like I have like the perfect training partners where we spar super light and we're still getting that same movement, that same fluidity with the striking, with the speed, with everything, but we're not putting that extra umph on it. And if you can't, if you don't have any guys like that in your gym, I think a lot of these guys are going to have shorter careers or they're going to get broken a lot earlier than they should have. It makes a big difference with timing too. Like you, you really develop timing when you can get a guy who's willing to spar light with you. Because then you're not thinking about the consequences of missing or getting countered, and you could really just develop that ingrained timing. And occasionally hard sparring. Yeah. But hard sparring all the time. I mean, the early days of the UFC, guys would just fight. They would go into the ring and in, in their, their whatever their gym was, and they would beat the fucking shit out of each other. And somewhere along the line, people realize, like, hey, this is you can only sustain this for so long. You're not going to have a long career doing this, and you're not going to reach the best of your potential. Like, when you look at all the variables that take place in a person reaching their full potential, I think one of the things you're doing that's really good is going to different places. I think that has a big factor. That, that make, that's a big factor. And being exposed yourself to the guys like Faraz Ahabi or Khabib or all these other different minds that can give you a different approach, and you could take a little bit here and a little bit there. But also it's like being smart in your training. And knowing when when to push and when not when you're being a bitch and when you're actually being a meathead because you're just going too hard and you're fucking your body up. Yeah, and a lot of guys have to learn that the hard way where mm-hmm. it takes them like, oh, I had to, you know, when you're coming up, you're fighting for pennies. You're not you're not fighting for anything. I'm, I used to fight for hundred fifty dollars, and I'll tell my family, no, I'm making like fifteen thousand. <laughs> yeah, like I would sit there and lie to them. But it's because you you had that dream. You had that yeah. push. You, and I had that end goal where I knew I, I was going to make it or I, I felt like I could have made it. So when I, I had, you got to have, I think, leaders in the gym room that are going to teach you the right things. Because mm-hmm. if you have those guys in those bigger gyms, I feel like there's so many UFC fighters in there, 20, 30, 40 guys. Yeah, it's great training partners, great things. But if it's a guy like trying to come up on the come right. up or anything like that, they're going to use you as a body. For yeah. them, and they're gonna beat you up. And who are you gonna talk to? You're gonna talk to the coach, but the coach be like, "Well, this guy pays me more, so I'm gonna stick with him." So you just go in there, give him some rounds, keep it quiet. Like nobody, nobody really cares what you have to say. So I think smaller gyms is are better for that. And for me, I had uh, my coach Lewis Taylor. He was a fighter, and when I when he when I came in, I was 23 years old when I first started fighting, and he was already a veteran in the game. He was in it, so like. He, I was following his footsteps, and he was teaching me all the small things. Don't go to that boxing gym. What are you going to go to that boxing gym for? They're, boxers hate MMA fighters. They're going to just try to knock you out. And, you know, I, 
I would sit there, go on my own a little bit, like, you know, let me just see how it is. Because ego, then you go over there and they're just trying to knock you out. And it's like, what did I gain from that? It's just, mm. it's hard sparring, but it was like, I didn't really gain any skill level. I gained toughness, but it's not really going to help me when I need better footwork. I need better defense. I need better that. I was still on the come up learning. So just getting beat up is not going to help me. Yeah, the small gym versus the large gym, that's the big debate. Because some people think a place like American Top Team, they have dormitories. You got all these guys coming in from Russia and, and Morocco and all these all these places, all parts of the world. They're coming to American Top Team and, you know, you might get some sparring with some fucking killers. But... How many coaches are really paying attention to you when you're just a guy who just started out there? Is this a good place to develop? Are you running the risk of being injured because you're just going to war every day versus a small gym where you get individualized attention and people are really paying attention to you? But then it's like, which small gym? Like, every small gym is different. Some small gyms are really good. Yeah. Some small gyms, the guys are on point. They have a deep well of knowledge, and they can really coach you. Some small gyms, the guy's kind of out of his league. And, you know, he's bringing guys to the UFC and giving them shitty – I mean, you've, you've seen guys in the corner yeah. give shit advice, and you hear this guy like, he's not giving any technical advice at all. This dude is like – he's doing things. He's making mistakes, and he's not getting any coaching. He's getting like, go out there and fucking win. Go out there and kick his ass. Like, what? He doesn't yeah. – don't you think he already knows that? He knows that already. So that's a bad small gym. You know, it's, yeah. it's really finding the right place. And finding the right place is so crucial. It's so crucial. And finding the right training partner is so crucial. Yeah, I think the key, honestly, is training partners, you have to have the right guys that yeah. really care for you. Because I've been at gyms where guys really don't care if you win or lose. Mm. But if you have that family feel where they're going to be in the gym for you no matter what, and they're going to push for you, and they're going to watch your opponent and give you that opponent's look. Like in bigger gyms, if I'm a UFC fighter and you're a UFC fighter, you're telling me I'm fighting Wonder Boy. And... And in my smaller gym, I had every single one of my five guys that I've trained with, all of them try to give me that Wonder Boy look. They're all paying attention to what he does. Hey, I think he does this extra. In a bigger gym, they're like, I'm not a karate guy. I'm going to give you what I got. Like, you right, want this or not? Right. Uh, yeah. I, I got to get paid too, like, unless you're going to pay me for it. But that's what I love about the smaller gyms is because I fought Damian Maya. I didn't have one black belt in my uh, gym. I didn't have one black belt that was helping me push or grapple. So I had the m mindset of, I have great wrestlers that I'm training with. Every single one of my guys is a great wrestler. So, all right, well, let's just not hit the ground. Let's just push my push my wrestling so hard that he's going to tire himself out trying to take me down. So I don't have to overthink it, the situation. When I fought Wonderboy, I've been in camp with Anthony Pettis when he fought Wonderboy. I've been in camp with Woodley when he fought Wonderboy. And Woodley brought in Sage Northcutt. Anthony Pettis uh, was using Mike Bigger Rhodes, and they have that karate style. Mm. But for me, I was, and then I asked Anthony, like, so do you think I should bring somebody in? He's like, honestly, just watch this tape. It was, uh, I forgot who it was. It was a kickboxer that fought uh, uh, Raymond Daniels, mm -hmm. and he, like, lit him up. And he's like, watch Nikki this. Nicky Holtzkin. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he was like, watch watch this. And he, like, lit him up. And he's like, just follow that routine. Cause or it was I, Valtellini. It might have been Valtellini. Yeah, 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 I think it was Valtellini. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he showed me the tape, and I was just watching it. I was just rewatching it. Just the pressure he gave and everything mm -hmm. like that. And I just wanted to mimic that because he's like, yeah, I had a karate style guy, but Wonderboy's different, man. His his kicks are a lot snappier than you think. His spinning kick is a lot snappier than you think. His angles are a lot different. So he said, don't try to overthink mimicking him. Just stick with what you got and Was he the most puzzling at. guy that you fought? Yeah, I think so. I like I never even wanted that fight. I was I was telling <laughs> I was telling my manager, I was like, bro, give me Chmayov. I was like I was like because also just that 
Wonder Boy is a guy you can't hate. Like right. I always love watching Wonder Boy fight. He's right. the nicest guy in the, the world. The nicest guy in the world. Yeah, and you got to find a reason to hit him and, right. and dislike him. Um, and just like his highlight reel. And I'm looking at it. And like I said, I was in two camps watching these guys. And they're telling me like he's nothing like these other guys. His like kicks are snappier. His, it hurts so much. And you're seeing him. And I'm like, man, I do not want to be on his highlight reel. I do not want to get hit with a spinning heel kick. Mm. And he was coming off of a loss. And I feel like guys coming off of one loss is... Their mentality is different. They're that, they're that much hungrier yeah. where they want to get it right back. I was so impressed with him in Kevin Holland fight. That Kevin Holland fight was amazing. Yeah, but mentality. Like I said, yeah. Kevin Holland, I'm like, bro, you took him to the ground. Right. Why, Why? are you going to stand up for it? They made an agreement, apparently, to not go to the ground. Like, Kevin, you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And you're, you're like in the top ten of the division, like what are you doing, man? Like you, you really could be a contender, a top contender. Literally, and beating a guy like Wonder Boy, that name value right there, the UFC yeah. already wants to push you. You have you, you know, you have a good push be- behind you with Holland. So I'm yeah. like, you beat Wonder Boy, you could probably be right there in the next line for the title shot. Actually, I don't know if he's top ten at welterweight. Like, but the, the fight was supposedly scheduled at. That was a welterweight fight, right? Yeah, that was a welterweight. But Wonder Boy was ranked top ten, so he yeah. probably took his number if he beat him. Yeah, that fight was crazy because I just, I just couldn't imagine why he wouldn't want to vary his approach when you're fighting with a fifty-seven and zero kickboxer. <laughs> bro, I had so many people messaging me after my fight with him, like, bro, you're all you did was hump him. All you did was, yeah. like, bro, he's fifty-seven and zero kickboxer. Yeah. And then after Good the job. Fight, yeah, they're like, uh, he's old, he's this, he's this. And I'm like, whoa, look, he, he beat uh, Holland in striking. So I guess he's still got some fight left in him, huh? Yeah, like, he ain't he's that not old. done. He's I'm like, not that old. And he doesn't take a lot of damage himself. No. He's been knocked out once by Pettis. Anthony Pettis, but yeah. that was it. Well, he got dropped really bad by Woodley. Tyron hurt him bad. And, you know, it was that was. That's the way you have to fight him. If you're a guy like Tyron, like everybody's like, that fight was boring. Like, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, you have to fight him smart. You can't just charge at that dude. You're crazy. He's so good at countering, and he moves like a snake. Like yeah, he moves back and forth like a snake. The way he pops back and then pops back in. When he's beating guys like Luke and he's beating Jeff Neal, and he's like making mm-hmm. them look like amateurs because yeah. they all wanted to play that. Let me. Oh, I'm gonna strike with you. I'm gonna strike right. with you doing that game, and you can't beat him at that game. There's... Well, that karate stance is so different. Everything, his movement. Yeah. I mean, his his sideways stance and then attacking you with that front leg, everything's different. It's, and his front, it's like so sophisticated. Like we mm-hmm. can hit you with this and he'll bring it over the top. And he's like, when I first came out, he threw one spinning heel kick at me. I was like, all right, I'm shooting. I'm not, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to play this game. I'm like, and then when I took him down, they just started giving me, building the confidence, building yeah. the confidence, building the confidence. So like, all right, well, my wrestling is up there where people beforehand we're like he, uh johnny hendricks couldn't take him down johnny hendricks the national champion woodley uh, couldn't take him down and johnny i was like hendricks when he fought wonder boy was on the slide yeah the, like there was a big slide with johnny hendricks it was johnny hendricks versus gsp who was a motherfucker there was the johnny hendricks that knocked out john fitch and marvin camp uh, martin campman like that johnny hendricks was a bad motherfucker he was a beast but by the time Johnny Hendricks got to like Paulo Costa, oh. that Johnny Hendricks was done. Yeah, he was done. I don't know what was going on in his personal life. I don't know how hard he was training. I don't know if Usada got to him. I don't know what happened. But he was not the same guy. Yeah, he's one of the main guys where that Usada comes in and you're like, Do you remember he used to? How do you fall off that much? Yeah, guys, senseless. Yeah. they would go flying. 
That he power, would crack yeah. guys like with Fitch. He cracked him, and Fitch goes flying. Everybody goes flying, and then all of a sudden the power goes away. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah, and then you're you're thinking back to the GSP fight, where it's right. like, how could somebody be that good? Right, and like somebody who almost beat the goat. Who a lot of people yeah. consider the goat, and all of a sudden you fall off that much, and it's only like two years, three years later. Right, real close to beating him. Yeah, like maybe you could have given it to him. Like if I mean that wouldn't been the most egregious decision. Yeah. Yeah, Crosby would have for sure gave it to him. Ah, <laughs> who knows? He might have given George every round. Who fucking knows? Yeah, man, there's some bad judging, right? There's so some of those fights were like, what in the fuck are you guys watching? Yeah, yeah. To get but, back to the Patty fight, I'm like, yeah. I, we're get, we're in, yeah. I'm getting tagged in all the videos with you and her. Like, we're looking at we're each other. We're both looking at each other. I said to you yeah. right before I go, he got it. I go, Jared got him. Yeah, and we both agreed. And then I looked at you like, what the fuck? That didn't make any sense. I thought it was two to one. Yeah, for sure. And then I'm rewatching it. I'm like, I'll go back yeah, and I'll rewatch it. it. And I'm sitting there like, yeah. I still give it to Jared. And it's like, yeah. no bias involved. Obviously, there may be, but I'm like, but I just objective. Just stats. Yeah. Like, just you're stats. looking at the stats. He outstruck him 21 to like 16 in the first round. And he took him down. And all the judges gave still the first round to Patty. And I'm like, it didn't make How? any sense. And he caught him clean with that left hook. He was landing that left hook on a regular basis. All day. Very yeah. clean. Yeah, that, he got fucked, and that's unfortunate. You know, I don't like when someone gets by just because they're famous and they have this big personality and, and everybody loves them. The problem with that is people are going to be rooting against him now in the next fight. And so yeah. now he's going to go in there against someone, and maybe he's going to go in against someone who's on another level, like one more level up, and he's going to be in trouble. Yeah, and for a guy like him, I just don't think that he really wants it that bad. If you're going out of camp and you're getting up to 200 pounds, 210, and you're getting that big, you're not in the training room. Uh, For me, I'm in the practice room all day. I don't care if I have a fight or not a fight. And it's just building skills in between fights. Him, I'm looking at it. I was watching the fight for Jared because uh, I knew I was going to be in his corner. So I'm watching tape, and I'm like, he's going to be the same exact fighter. That left hook's going to land all day. His coach, very smart, was like, that left hook, that left hook, that left mm. hook. And it landed the whole fight because he didn't evolve from his second fight, his third fight, his first fight. Because Yeah, someone said that too, that his fights are like fat camps. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really not like training camps where you're going over skills as much as he's just, he's got very good skills. Yeah. But now he's just trying to lose weight. Yeah, you just got to lose so it. He gets so big. He gets so big, his big pie face. <laughs> and I, I mean, you can make a show about it yeah. and like play that whole game like it's like it's a fad for you, but like in general, it's not good for your health. Right. You, and if you're training with that much extra weight on you, that's when little injuries happen. And mm-hmm. he's about to, he's going to the surgery now, so I'm wondering if that played a part into it. What's he going to surgery for? I don't know. They said he's not going to be on the March card because he has surgery. The London oh, card. Oh no shit. Yeah. So what is they, see what the Patty Pimblet is getting surgery on. He's a fun dude, though, man. His fucking personality and the way he dances when he gets inside the octagon and everything—it's very fun. But sometimes ankle surgery. Oh. But sometimes you can be more famous than you are good. Yeah. And that's a real problem when you run up against a Justin Gaethje or some fucking assassin. Yeah. You know? And that's what I feel like. He has to level up from Jared. So yeah. Who, Leveling off on Jared, I think, is probably like top 15. Oh, he had a partial tear of his ligaments in his ankle. Hmm. Or something like that. It says a grade two injury to the ankle rehabilitation. Pemblitz, doctor, disagreed with the UFC lightweight, continues to deal with swelling and soreness more than a month removed from his most recent fight. I wonder if he looked into stem cells at all. Uh, well, who knows? Either way, he's getting surgery. Yeah. That's a, well, you know, I hope he heals up, but... 
I hope he realizes that. I mean, he's openly talked about having an eating disorder. Yeah. You know, and some guys do get that when they cut a ton of weight, and it's, it really fucks with them. And you always had that mentality, like when you're in camp and it's about to be like two or three weeks out, and you feel so good because you're eating healthy for yeah. six to eight weeks, and it fe- like your body feels good, your energy feels good. And I always tell myself, like, after this fight, I'm not eating bad. I'm not going to go on any bad binges or anything. But it's like right after you win, you're like, I don't care no more. Like, I'm eating whatever <laughs> I want. And, yeah, you're like, I'll make up for it. But it only has to be – for me, it's, I only give myself a week. If you go uh, past – One week? Yeah, you go to two to three to four weeks. That and, week must be glorious, though. <laughs> man, it's like heaven. I, and especially if you're winning. If, and then for me, I was like yeah. – I was flying back from Dubai – uh, from Abu Dhabi, and I was like, I'm upgrading the uh, business class. I'm gonna do business class. I got me like a big bag of M and M's. I'm just sitting there front row. My nice. brother is able to sneak up there with me uh, in business class because it was like empty seats, and they, like they never asked him. So he sat up there the whole time with me. So me and my coach are just sitting up there eating M and M's. Yeah. Oh, let me get some French toast. Let me get this. So it was like, it was <laughs> like the best ride ever. What's your binge food? The one binge food that you like to go to after a fight? I love nachos. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a nacho guy. I'm chips and cheese. Like when mm. I'm in Vegas, one time I was on the same. Me and Anthony Pettis, we were uh, training together, and we both won that on a card together. And he comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, uh, we're gonna go to the the club at uh, I forget, I don't know what even name of the club was." And he was like, "Tell me, like, all right, we're gonna get a table over there." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go get a uh, nacho daddy. I'm gonna go get some nachos." And he was like, <laughs> looked at me like I was such a loser. And my coach, my coach is like, "Bro, you're such a lame." And I was like, "Cause I don't drink or party or anything, but my family's always at all the fights with me, so." My best time is celebrating with them, going to eat with them. So he's looking at me like, you're a lame man. And I was like, bro, let's go eat. And he's like, all right, man, let's go. Let's go together. So, Well, so you're probably fun. adding time to your career by not drinking. You're probably adding time to your career. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, look, I, drinking's fun. There's a reason why people like to do it. There's a reason why <laughs> bars are everywhere. It's fun. But the reality is it's fucking terrible for you. And if you're a professional athlete and you're in this world of – professional athleticism that has very little room for error, which is what you're in. I mean, you're in the the, yeah. the, the hardest fucking sport, I think, in the world. And if you can maximize your recovery and maximize your health and maximize your vitality by not drinking alcohol, I would, you know, I would tell people to do it. I mean, maybe a glass of wine here and there, a little glass yeah. of whiskey, no big deal. But guys who get drunk... Guys who like really like to party and drink, man, you are fucking chipping away at your health. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of guys that do it, and then they'll come into the practice room on Monday or hungover or something, and oh, you're not get really getting up. as much out of the session. And, no. and I you, tell, you like, get hurt. Yeah, and yeah. I've seen it happen to a lot of guys, and I tell them, like, how bad do you want it? How serious do you want it, these younger fighters? Yeah. And I tell them, like, it's not an easy road. Everybody always asks me for advice. How, how do you get to the UFC? And I'm like, there's no, there's no like easy road to the UFC. There's some people that will skyrocket right in there. Like you said, they're famous. Mm-hmm. They got a, a following behind them, and they're gonna blow up right away. Or there's guys that have to inch their way in. Guys and, like you, the grind. Yeah, you've ground. You worked your way through contender after contender after yeah. contender. You've been grinding, dude. Yeah, I appreciate that though, man. That's a mentality that I really appreciate because it's hard to do. And no one has to tell you that. That's a yeah. ho- when you're not making these monumental leaps in terms of like public consciousness and being celebrated. You're steady up that fucking ladder. That's what you're doing, and that to me is some of the most impressive shit. Like that Sean Brady fight. That was a big fight, man. Yeah, that dude's a killer. He's a fucking killer, and you put it on him, man. You put it on him, and you pressured the shit out of him. 
That was a that was a big fight. It was a big fight. Yeah, that was one of those fights where obviously I wanted to fight upward. I thought that I I fought Luke, who's on a seven fight winning streak, and he was number five in the world. And I beat him, and then I beat Wonderboy before that, who's number five. And then you're gonna offer me number eight, and I was sitting there like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, Hamza's still out there, Gilbert Burns is still out there. Give me those guys, and they just weren't pushing. And they were like, well, we'll give you him. We'll give you Brady. And I was like. Honestly, Why I don't do care. Why do you think they weren't? I mean, um, Gilbert, who's Gilbert fighting this weekend? He's fighting Magni. That's right. That's yeah. a good fight. But it's a good showcase for Gilbert in in, in, in Brazil. Brazil yeah. You know? I mean, not, not that Magni's an easy fight. He's a very good fighter. But it's like neither one of those, like beating Magni is not going to move him into a title shot. Yeah. You know, because Magni hasn't, hasn't really won enough fights as of late to warrant that. But beating you would. Yeah. You know, like if you beat him, that moves you closer. Like it's like that's a consequential fight. Yeah. And sometimes they do consequential fights and sometimes they do fights where they like give a guy a good opponent but give it to him in their hometown and you know, they have it set up so it's nice. They offer you a fight that makes sense financially and it looks good just to build you up yeah. in that area but but for, for you a, a Gilbert fight or more more importantly a Hamzat fight. Hamzat, you versus Hamzat would be gigantic. Yeah, and that's I didn't get why they weren't doing that one. I was sitting there like, I'm asking for it. There's a million mm-hmm. guys. He says, oh, this, these guys are all turning me down. I'm like, I'm not asking for extra money. I'm not telling me I need to have this, this, and this. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, give me that fight. And I'm showing people, I'm texting my managers like, they don't want to do it. And I was like, Hamzat doesn't want to do it. Or the UFC, the UFC do it. didn't want to do it. And I, they, they were like, well, he's going to do Nate Diaz. And I was like, like, why are you going to do Nate Diaz instead of me? It doesn't make, obviously, to build his name, whatever. Yeah. But, but I was like, this has to be a joke. And then I was like, well, give me Gilbert. And they were like, well, Gilbert's going to fight Masvidal. And then I was, they were like, there's nobody else for you but Sean Brady. So then you're like, all right, well, as long as it's in Abu Dhabi. I always just wanted to fight in Abu Dhabi because the first time I fought there, was the crowd there was amazing. The people there were amazing. So I was like, just give me him. If you guys think that. He could beat me if you guys want to push him. He's 15-0, and 0 and everybody's hyping him up to be the strongest man in the world. And if he touches you, you fall. I was like, all right, let's do it. And I felt like after beating him and just the way I beat him in that crowd, I thought, for sure, I'm going to get a Hamza fight after that. But they still didn't do it. Well, Hamza's not scheduled to fight anybody, is he? No. Yeah. But so now they're saying he could still... be going up to middleweight. <sighs> yeah. Well— the thing about the middleweight thing is like, yeah, he could go up to middleweight and he would be a, a top flight middleweight, but he has fought at welterweight. Could he make the weight though? Like that was a big problem after that fight with Kevin Holland. Like, you know, what? Why are you weighing so much? Like, why did you weigh eight pounds over? And he said that they stopped him. He could have made the weight. And it's like you never know. Like maybe they did stop him. Maybe they maybe it was the commission. And they looked at him, and you know those commission guys. They don't cut weight. They don't yeah. know. You look like shit. Yeah, you're always you gonna like, look like you that. look like yeah. death. You look yeah. like death. Nobody's ever gonna be yeah. in there smiling, cutting weight. And Nobody's gonna be like, oh, he's great. Is that eight pounds to go? Yeah, let him go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eight <laughs> pounds is a lot of fucking weight, man. But yeah, that's a lot. That's and a I, lot. For me, I think it's just the mentality for that fight. He's like, you're fighting Nate Diaz. It's not like you have to do the extra running, the extra right, jogging right, right. while you're in camp. It's not like somebody that's making me want to work harder. When I fought a Wonder Boy, I'm working twice as hard. I'm doing five practices, three practices a day, doing whatever I can do because I'm so afraid of what he could do to me. Yeah. Nate Diaz, you're like pretty much pretty sure you're probably going to beat him pretty easily in the first round if you're Hamza. So I, don't, I just think that his motivation factor wasn't there. That might be it. Maybe he didn't work hard enough. 
Yeah. Know? Or, you know, maybe he's, he's just vague. It also could be he's getting close to the top of the food chain and there's a lot of pressure involved in that. And sometimes when people have a lot of pressure, they self-sabotage. There's that possibility. Yeah. You know, you really don't know. It's it's so hard to tell. That's why experience is so important. And that's why your resume is very impressive because you've fought so many top guys. You've been around for so long. Like you're a proven entity. Yeah. And with a guy like Hamza, you go, okay, well, he looked real good up until that Gilbert Burns fight. And the Gilbert Burns fight was a fucking war. That was yeah. a war. But man showed he he could take it. Man showed he can bounce back from diversity. He gets dropped and still drives forward and gets a takedown. I mean, he showed he's a dog. He showed he's a fucking mad dog. But how many times can you do that? How many different fighters? How many? Who's going to figure you out? Who's going to find your chin? Who's going to catch you? Who's going to get your number? Who's who's going to get it? We need to know. And then maybe he's thinking that after the Gilbert Perrins fight. You have a fight like that where you're steamrolling everybody. You only get hit four times in your first four <laughs> fights. He was just ragdolling people, man. Yeah. Runs through Lee Jingleon, fucks up Gerald Mershart, fucks up everybody, right? And then all of a sudden he's getting tagged, and Gilbert's a savage. Gilbert is a bad motherfucker. And that dude was just throwing bombs at him and clipped him and hurt him and rocked him and... Maybe he's thinking, like, you know, who knows, man? You, you never know. So that's why being a proven entity is so important. Yeah. When you get a guy like yourself that's just had so many tough fights against top contenders, like, then you could see what a guy's made of. Yeah. You know? And that's why betting lines are hard. Yeah. But also with uh, Hamza, where you're looking at that Kevin Holland fight where he just came out so hard. I'm oh, like, my God. I wish we would have seen the second round. Yes. How, he was going he for Darces, all the yeah. scrambling. I'm like, nobody could keep up that pace. I nobody. don't care who you are. And for, what is, how you recover in the second. Yeah. And you're not going to do that for five rounds. If you do that for a five-round fight, man, and you don't get him in the first, you're fucked. Yeah. You're that, really fucked. That, five, that extra two rounds, I tell people, it's, it's a difference. And, but, but meanwhile, he was right. Yeah. See, the thing is, like, we can second-guess him all day, but Hamza was right. He knew he could do that. Yeah. He knew he could do that, and he was right. He he ragdolled the shit out of Kevin Holland. I was impressed. I mean, I was really impressed. When you see what he's capable of when he puts the fucking pedal to the gas and really just stomps it to the floor, like, that motherfucker's scary. Yeah. He's very good. But that's those type of fighters are the ones that, like, I want to figure out. Those are the right. ones that where everybody's telling me I'm going to get walked through. All right, let me figure him out. Kobe Covens is another one where Dana White, oh, well, if Usman wasn't here, Kobe would be the champion. And I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I, I think Kobe sucks. I don't think that he's at as good as everybody thinks you he think is. He sucks. I think that compared to me, I think I'll be able to walk through him. I think that really? be, he's a lesser version of Sean Brady. I think because if you're looking at the guys he's fought, he's beaten Woodley coming off of two losses. He beaten Masvidal coming off of two losses. Robbie Lawler coming off of two losses. He hasn't fought one of the guys that's in the top ten right now. He's getting so much credit for losing close fights to Usman. Like, you're get, you're a good loser. Is that what people are trying to say to him? I'm like, bro, why does he get all that credit for? Because he, him and Usman stood toe to toe with each other. Neither one of them went for a takedown. Neither one of them tried to shoot at each other. They were just two wrestlers kickboxing. So because he made it a close kickboxing match with a wrestler, makes him that much of a a monster, a pound for pound guy. I just don't think so. Really interesting. I'd like to see that fight. Yeah, but what, does he have a scheduled fight, Colby? He doesn't have anything doesn't. yet, but he's been missing. Like, well, I, he I got keep sucker asking, punched yeah. by Masvidal, and apparently he really got hurt from that. Yeah, I mean, you I know? think it's hurt for court. You think so? Yeah, because I'm like, I if, don't know. I know people who you know think that him. Bad? He said he actually got hurt. 
Yeah, like he was brain fucked up. He was fucked up for a while after that fight, apparently, or after that punch. Like you nerves, or yeah. I don't know. I'd be talking out of my ass. Yeah. but my friend who knows him well said, "Dude, he got really fucked up from that punch because he didn't see it coming." Yeah, and Jorge just ran up to him and sucker punched him in the face. But when you're at that, when you're that person, like you have to have security with it. I'm like, all the trash talk you say, all the dumb stuff, all the people that want to kill you. I'm sure every, right. American Top Team. All them Brazilians, you talk trash about, like, you don't think that somebody sees you on the street is going to hurt you. And that's what I feel like a lot of these guys need to start realizing is, like, you could say whatever you want to build a fight. But when you're talking about a guy's family, his kids, like, he deserved it. I I know that it was a sucker punch. It was dirty on Masvidal's end. Like, be a street fighter. Go street fight him in the streets. Hit him with something. uh, But don't hit him and, like, run off. But I thought he deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I'm never gonna kick a man when he's down, but like right. I always kick Kobe Covington when he's down. Like, I don't care about Kobe Covington. Like that's hilarious. I've had hate for uh, Sean Strickland, and I've called him out before. And I was at the fight when he fought uh, Pereira. Pereira like knocked him out, mm-hmm. and I like got like I got up to go to the bathroom, and all these like brothers, stop! Don't go anywhere! Don't say anything to him. I was like, bro, I'm just going to the bathroom. Like I hate him, but I wouldn't like laugh at somebody that they just got right. knocked out. Like I wouldn't go up to, oh, you just got knocked out, lol, or anything like that because. I know what it is to get knocked out in the cage. I know what it is to want it that bad and be that close to uh, achieving something and you lose, fall flat on your face. So I would never talk trash about him. But if it was Kobe, I would probably laugh and point and everything at him. Like, I don't care about Kobe. <laughs> so he's your number one dude that you hate. Yeah, Kobe, yeah. Like, Well, that's a real possibility for you. If he comes back. Like, people just don't know. I ask, when is he fighting? Oh, he's not fighting for a year. He's gonna be. He's not going to be fighting for a while. And then I'm looking at it like. They say, Why? I'm assuming because he's claiming brain damage with the the court case. Mm. And I know like some lawyers, uh, like injury lawyers, and he was like, yeah, when somebody comes in claiming brain damage, like all I hear is cha-ching. Like I know that I'm going to get paid for it because you could claim like future injuries or anything like that, like Mm. stuff that's going to happen in the future. So, and the the court can't do anything like, well, we'll wait 10 years before we let you get paid or anything. And if you're suing Masvidal, who's worth millions of dollars and you're claiming brain damage and they see you take a fight, they're probably going to be like, Right. How are you going to take a fight if you have brain damage? That's a good point. And that's really interesting, too. Is like, Has there ever been a fighter that sued another fighter for a sucker <laughs> punch? Has that ever happened? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think in the UFC it's ever happened before. And I feel like they should be like guy code. Like, right. I'm not going to call the cops or anything like that. Like, I'm not going to sue you off of that. And for especially for them, too, because they had a relationship before. Right. They so, were roommates. Yeah, you were roommates for that long, yeah. and you're going to sit there and go to court and sue them like that? That's... To me, that's soft. Like I'm not gonna. If it's if it's if I'm Kobe, I'm gonna get revenge. If I'm Kobe, I'm gonna. You already embarrassed me in the cage. I will hire somebody on the street to jump Masvidal. Right? Oh, like boy. do the same thing. Some. But when you're getting to that level, it's like it's street guys. And I like I'm not a guy that's gonna go to court or snitch or do anything like that. It's just I just don't like that mentality. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Because if he gets a million dollars out of the settlement, <laughs> you're like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, million dollars for chip tooth. All right, it might. I don't know. I mean, if he really can prove brain damage, if he can prove that something really went wrong, I mean, we don't yeah. know. I mean, his career might be over. Who fucking knows? I don't yeah. know. I don't know what happened to him. You know, sometimes guys get hit and they're fucked up. Yeah. You know? Especially if you don't see it coming. And especially like we've seen it with guys that get knocked out and they've never been the same. Yes. From it. Yeah. And you're like, how the heck did this guy just change so much mm-hmm. off of that? And you're like, they took that much damage in a fight, and you don't know which fight it's going to be. And that's why I tell guys, don't spar hard because you don't want to lose those years, lose those that toughness from your chin because mm-hmm. you can't 
you can't gain muscles on your chin. Right. And I think Tony Ferguson was a big one of that. Like after that Gaethje fight, he was never the same. And it's like a prime example of like, bro, people get hurt and something changes in their their body was, or their mind or something. That was a beating, man. That was a beating. That Gaethje fight. Oof. That was a beating. And Tony caught him. Caught him with a big uppercut early in the fight. Remember? Oh yeah. He had him yeah. rocked. Yeah, he had but him. He at, just at decided edge. to stand and trade. And Gaethje. Instead of loading up, he started Trevor Whitman in the corner, told him, like, settle down. Don't fucking try to take his head off with every shot. Pick your shots. Be technical. And then he started tuning him up. And when he started tuning him up, at the end of it, it was like, it was bad. And when I believe it was Herb Dean. When Herb Dean stopped it, I was like, whew, good stoppage because this is not, this is ugly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was, like, moving away funny. I was like, he's he got too many shots. Man. Some guys are just too tough for their own mm-hmm. good. And That's Tony. He's so tough. Yeah. That motherfucker's so tough. But and you think back to those, like, how you said he almost dropped him at the end of the first, and you're mm-hmm. looking back at um, Pereira and Adesanya where he almost dropped yes. him at the beginning of the first. You're like, how many of those fights are there where it's like right. one more second, mm-hmm. this guy would have won, and the whole thing would have changed. Yeah, if Izzy caught him with that punch two minutes to go instead of two <sighs> seconds to go, who fucking knows, man? He couldn't stopped him in the first round. Yeah, that yeah. was right, th- and it changes yeah. everything in well, the whole division. You know, Izzy almost stopped him in the second kickboxing fight they had too. Yeah, or uh, yeah, the second kickboxing fight. Because in the second kickboxing fight, the first one, I thought Izzy should have won a decision. It was very close, but I thought Izzy should have won. And the second one, Izzy had him rocked, like he had him wobbling, and then they came in and gave him a standing eight count. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. That like. And I, th- I felt like he should have let him drop first before giving him the standing eight count. Standing like, eight counts are weird. Yeah. They're so weird. It's like you're in trouble, I'm going to give you a break, versus you're in trouble and then the guy stops you. Like, yeah. Why? I don't agree with standing eight counts. I don't understand it. But it's, it's like I think the I think MMA rules are, are superior in that like there's no – like you get dropped and you come back up because of the fact that there's ground fighting and ground and pound. When someone gets hurt – and the, uh, someone could put that person away. That's the end of the fight. There's a thing that happens in boxing when a guy gets dropped where you're like, one, two, and you get up, and then no one's hitting you. And they brush your gloves off, and they go, come to me, and there's all this time, and you have time to sort of get your equilibrium back and move around. That's probably worse for you. Yeah. It's probably worse for you. Unless you're Tyson Fury and you get right. dropped by Wilder and you get up and you're like, how the heck did he come up so hard? Came up and won the rate, remainder of the round. Yeah, but you're looking at that too. And you ever seen those videos of like the guy, the ref counting and somebody's like, dude, it was like 20 seconds the ref's counting. Yeah. Because you go one and two and it's like, what if it's like a bad ref who's like counting a lot faster? That does it, happen. It changes everything too. Well, that happened with Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas. When Tyson dropped Douglas, that was more than a 10 count. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You can go back. There's people who have uh, taken that video and superimposed it with a camera that shows you an actual count of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it goes to like 11 or 12 <sighs> before Buster Douglas actually gets up. Yeah. That's crazy. Let's just, when you got a, someone going like this, one, two, like you should have a fucking clock like if this is 10 seconds there should be a giant digital clock and the moment someone gets dropped that clock goes and has nothing to do with the referee yeah the referee should be reading that shit off the clock that's it yeah i don't know why they don't do that like just point to it yeah right, he's down <laughs> exactly he's down. look at the clock you got seven eight like it's on the clock it it she, because guys can do a slow count and they can do a quick count too six yeah. seven eight nine ten you're like hey 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 that's not 10. Yeah. That was seven. That was seven seconds, bitch. 
And then yeah. you, you, when you're looking at it too, like you said, when it comes to famous guys or like if Patty Pimlet was boxing right. and the ref liked him more, right. am I going to count faster for you? Like, yeah. we're all humans, right? Like, we There's all a- like somebody more than another person, regardless of what you say. Did you see the video of Dana and uh, I think it was Hunter Campbell? I don't, I'm not who it was, sure it was celebrating when Patty got the win. Oh yeah, they're like, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm like, oh no, yeah. no, you can't do that. For, for me, I, I hate like losing in general and then it hurts me more when I'm like Jerry's like my best friend he's like my boy so seeing him lose and because I know how hard he works he's one of yeah. those guys where I know that he puts the real time and he puts the real work in and his like life story is so crazy it is crazy so it was like yeah. that was his moment that was his moment to shine you know the, the whole crowd's booing him before the fight and they're all like that could have turned him in into Vegas. a star yeah and I'm like that could have changed everything so yeah. for it to be like snatched out of his hand because three stupid judges yeah. like pissed you off so much and I'm like yeah, most people did not agree with that decision. There's you know, there's controversial decisions. Like I went back and rewatched Jan Blachowicz, uh Ankalaev. That's a very interesting decision because like the first round, you go, who won that fight? Who won that round? Because the first round, Ankalaev was pushing the pace, but Jan Blachowicz landed some very good leg kicks. You know, and that motherfucker goes shin to shin with people. I'm looking at him like I was. I want to see how he's walking afterward because Jan walked fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what does he have? It's, it's, I'm like, what he's kind of made bones? out of metal, dude. Jan Bohovich is made out of metal, but it makes sense if you think about the power that dude carries. Like, yeah. he must have some dense ass bones. Yeah, and I'm you like, know? you never like Ankalaev. I've seen him training before, and this mm-hmm. dude's a monster everywhere. And then you're like, wait. So his weakness is his lower shin. All right, so we have, we have the weakness now. Other guys are looking at it like, I'm not going to do that, though. I'm not going to come out there low kick at his <laughs> lower shin. because I just think Bohovich has, like, ultimate confidence in his ability to— if guys want to get in a firefight with him, he has ultimate confidence that he could blast them out. Yeah. You know, I and mean, I think he just has ultimate confidence in his durability, too. Yeah, he's tough. He's kind of like a Glover where both of them just have that, like— crazy just like mm-hmm. old power and old toughness and yeah. they just have the discipline of just keeping their hands up a lot of there's not that new fancy footwork or moving mm-hmm. back or matrix style stuff like they just keep it simple keep your hands up mm-hmm. go underneath shuck it off yeah Glo- Glover man 42 years old fighting for the title again <laughs> again amazing what do you think of that fight this weekend I'm excited for it I Glover is one of those guys where I felt like I felt bad for him because I you know I thought it was going to be one of his last fights for them to take the title fight away from him. Like, ah. And then, like, every time I see him in the PI, he's, like, the nicest guy. And I saw him there that weekend for the Ankaliyev uh, fight. And I was like, ah, oh, man, that sucks, man. It should be you in there. And he's like, it's all right, man. Nice guys like us, man. We, we It'll come back to us later, man. It takes us the long road because we're both nice guys. That's and, interesting. Yeah, he was, like, the nicest guy in the world. And I he was is like, the nicest guy. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. And it just made you feel good that, like, I feel bad for you, but like he's like, no, I'll accept it. It's okay. It'll, it'll come back to me. So the way it just happened, what's I was interesting excited. is he he said he would fight Ankalaev, but he said he wanted to fight him in Brazil. He said I have to adjust my game because yeah. I'm fighting a different guy now. Give me some more time to to like train for this guy, especially at 42 years old, and especially coming off of being a champion. He's supposed to be fighting Yuri Prohaska, who's this like bizarre style Yuri just moves around funny he's throwing crazy shots he's got a very odd style yeah very specific so to go from that to Ankalaev and Ankalaev is like standing tall and he moves really good and he's he's very fast and super technical totally different style 
Like, yeah. you got to prepare for different looks. Yeah. But, I mean, I understand the UFC's take on it. Like, you need a, a title fight for the pay-per-view. You got to sell it for that one that they but had at 42, in Vegas. At 42, like, you got to make your choices count. Yeah. You got to make your – I like what Glover did. No, look, yeah. He was right. He yeah. came back to help him. <laughs> it worked out perfectly for him. And but Jamal's Jam- a dog, Jamal, though. Jamal's a dog. <laughs> Jamal's a dog. And Jamal's got crazy power, man. He's got crazy power. Yeah, he got that. There it is. Jamal, he has an intelligence, like a fine chin intelligence. He finds your chin. Yeah. He like sorts through all the shit you're doing. He He's like, now's my time and just drops bombs. And he's so calm in there. He was yeah. like, even on the way that we, uh, when I fought Damian Maia, he was in the car with me on the way to the fights because he fought Paul Craig that day. And Interesting. He's, he's the favorite. Oh, Jamal is? Yeah, interesting. That's interesting. I guess it's just the power. Glover's age. It's the power. And, you know, it's the like when you see him the way he knocked out Johnny Walker, you're like, dude, kind of glancing off the forehead. Yeah. Good shot, but wasn't even like his best shot. And and Johnny Walker goes stiff. That Jamal's got crazy power. And he like switched stances right mm-hmm. before he knocked him out yep. with that shot. And I'm like, oh, a bigger guy that knows how to switch stances. Mm-hmm. So smooth. Yeah, he's he's very clever in there, and that power is undeniable, man. His power is undeniable. Davison Figueredo, he made me eat my words. That motherfucker got down to flyweight. I was like, the last time I saw him, he was three hundred pounds. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're never gonna be a flyweight again. He came in the octagon. I'm like, you're heavier than me. Like, how are you gonna get down to one twenty five? But he did, man. He looks. Go to his Instagram. He uh, he he posted a photo today. Damn, he looks good. So yeah. Davison, sir, made me eat my words. I <laughs> was like, we never got a couple more days. Friday, we'll see. Oh, he made it. I think he made it. I I was saying he's probably gonna go up to bantamweight. But no, look at him. Oh, wow. Damn, son. That dude's shredded. Look at him. Look at him. You can't get more shredded than that. That's not possible. It is literally, like, he's got veins everywhere on his body. You can't get more shredded than that, dude. That's fucking <laughs> sh- sh- shredded. That's, That's their fourth fight, right? That's nuts. They, some, I saw the stat today. It was like, uh, this is. Davidson Figueroa hasn't fought anybody not named Brandon Moreno in the last four years. <laughs> like he's, he's fought him the last four years has only been Brandon Moreno. That's the only first time Figueroa's fought. The last, yeah, the last guy he stopped. Yeah. Well, he fought Alex Perez. Yeah, and that was uh, 2020. Yeah, and then before that, he fought Benavidez. He stopped Benavidez twice. He beat him twice. And then uh, Brandon Moreno, and then the uh, the rematch, the last one I thought Moreno won, man. Yeah, I was uh, shocked at that decision, you know. But that I was I was real happy that Moreno got that fight with Kai Kara France, got the interim title, and now they're fighting for undisputed. I like that fight. I like that fight a lot. Those two guys match up really well. This is gonna be. I mean, we could watch them fight. Mm-hmm. Five or six times, I think he's going to keep switching back and forth. But now Moreno doesn't have his coach with him. He switched right. Corrales, and I'm wondering how that's, that's going to play a factor into it. What is your take on that whole thing? I don't know enough about what happened. Do yeah. you know enough about what happened? I, I don't know enough, it? but it's doesn't sound good. When I watch that fight, when I look at that fight, I'm like, this guy said he had an injury, then he just fell down. He literally just fell down. Like it looked like he threw the fight. The the one who was cornering that day, yeah. and then he came out afterward and said, oh, you know, I had an injury, but it was like. At least act a little bit more if you're going to go in there and throw a fight. Like well, if you have make... an injury and you go and fight, it says UFC's Jeff Molina suspended oh. for alleged substantial involvement in ongoing James Krause investigation. Substantial. Yeah, they, he was on, uh, I've heard a thing that he was on uh, his Discord, and he said that, like, Jeff Molina said that, like, 
you know, I paid my my mortgage, my house, my my phone bill, everything with this Discord right here. Make sure you guys join it. So like, he was pushing it hard. So I'm sure you know he's, uh, he was under Kraus. So his Discord was they is that something that they were using for gambling? Yeah, I think somebody was telling Jamie, me that they you, had. You know, you're aware of this, right? Yeah, I know. Jamie's got a big smile. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, what I heard, this is what I heard. There was up to uh, two thousand people using that Discord for gambling information, mm. and most of it was probably MMA stuff. Probably all sorts of sports are being talked about, uh, but one fight in particular, the the line changed right before the fight from like, I think the favorite was like maybe minus two twenty or something like that to then like negative four fifty, which is a four to one favorite. Mm. And more specifically, it was like uh, of a KO in the first round, and it happened in like forty eight seconds. Or something. Uh, and that fighter had never been KO'd. Or something too is what I was hearing. So but people knew that there was an injury, and they were letting people know that there was an injury, so right. that affected the gambling line. And then they traced that shit back to find out. Oh, they fucked it. everybody because now you can't bet on yourself. Like yeah. if you want, if you fought Hamza and you're like, "Fuck, I'm putting a hundred grand on myself." Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, there's you a lot of fighters that do that. You should be able to gamble on yourself. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna gamble, at least, yeah. But now I don't think fighters are able to gamble even on like football or basketball or anything. Oh, like DraftKings or something. Uh, we haven't tweeted out. Like that's I can't even get on DraftKings. That's terrible. You guys fucked us. Freaking Kraus, man. I, when he, he was on Air Hawaii before and he said he makes more money gambling than he did fighting. And oh, no. I think that like triggered everybody. Like, Wait a minute. Let me check oh, what you no. do. And I met a couple guys in Vegas and they were like talking about the situation. And uh, he was telling me like one guy was like, oh, yeah, you know, I make like. $500,000 uh, each UFC fight. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. What? He's like, there's fights that are, the line's still out there even after the fight's done. So the fight will happen. He knows who won and how they won. And then they, the, some of the casinos will still have the line up. What? Yeah. And he's no. like, he'll bet the house on it. And I'm like, you're lying. He's like, bro, I'll show you my bank account. Like, this is what Wait I do. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's gambling after the fight is concluded? Yeah. That's insane. That's what I was like. That can't be true. He's like, bro, there's casinos. I'll look for the casino that has it. He said, all I do is gamble. And that's what I do. And I'll wait for the fight to be finished. And they'll still have the line up. And I'll go into the casino, put the bet on there. That makes no sense. That yeah. seems like the casino should be able to get their money back. Like, it's already concluded. I don't know if I'm snitching on them or not, but, yeah, that's crazy. I think, I heard I think you might be snitching. <laughs> no, no names were said, right? I didn't hear any names. I heard no names. Yeah, but I, I feel like you should be able to gamble. You, you definitely should be able to gamble on your fighter. You definitely should be able to gamble on yourself. As long as you're not gambling for someone to lose, and if there's a situation like this where it shows that someone is either taking a dive or the coach lets everybody know, hey, this guy's injured, you know, bet on the other dude. That kind of shit you really should be banned for. Yeah. And you shouldn't. I mean, I don't know what Kraus actually did and what actually is going to happen to him, but that makes me upset. That's that's terrible shit. That's terrible. For Especially, you ruined it for all these guys that, like, if you wanted to fight Hamza and you wanted to bet 100 grand on yourself or you wanted to bet on yourself against Colby, like, yeah. you should be able to do that. Yeah, that's, that's a fun storyline. I want to talk about exactly. That. You have confidence in yourself yes. that much, and and doing commentary, I want to be able to bring it up. Yeah, like this be cool. is how much he believe, believes in himself. He put a hundred grand on himself. Yeah, but now you can't even do that. Yeah, check this out. This is a, the the company that found this is called U.S. Integrity. Hmm. They found it. I think this would be the PFL event. It says uh, they showed fights that were taped a month ahead of time and aired them as though they were live. No, yeah. and people gambled on him. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that's so stupid. This was one of the ones that he was telling me about too. He said that 
he, like Cross put on his Discord that he, they knew all the results from the. Oh from my this fight. god! That's wild. That is so dumb. Yeah, that's, they had all the results. He said so push. He was like, you know, I made like two hundred thousand, but I know guys that made like eight hundred thousand off of that, and it was oh like my the, God, you're it going was to jail, professional bitch. fighters league <laughs> challenge series, and I was like, what? It is like. That's yeah, like they, so dumb. They didn't play the results, but like people that were in the crowd, hey, they were like, we were getting texts like, hey, I was in the crowd. I know who won. One, you want all these things? Give me oh, fifty grand. And I'm like, that's insane. I yeah. can't believe that's real. Yeah, that was. Crazy. Oh my god, that's so unsophisticated. Like, how the fuck did they not know that the fights already took place when they have a line on it? That's so crazy. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's another issue too with like the the UFC PI where you see guys fight week. Random guys are walking in, and if they see somebody getting worked on who's fighting, and they right. see, oh, he's getting his ankle worked on. Mm -hmm. So you're like, go back. Oh, I think something's wrong with his ankle, or something's wrong with. Yeah, I'd heard back, about like, TJ Dillshaw's shoulder before that fight. Oh, did you? Yeah, before he fought Aljamain. Yeah, I'd heard about his shoulder. I knew his shoulder was fucked already because I knew that he had been getting stem cells. He had gone down to Neil, Dr. Neil Reardon, who's a stem cell uh, guy. He has a, a clinic down in Panama. And he was going down to Panama to get shoulder uh, stem cells. During camp? Yeah, this was quite a while ago, though. This is before he got popped for EPO. Oh. Before he fought um, Henry, Henry Cejudo. And so he has like some pretty substantial tears to his shoulders. His shoulders are pretty fucked. They're pretty fucked. Like, he, I, I think his supraspinatus is completely torn off on both shoulders. It's not good. <sighs> yeah. And stem cells could fix that, or? Not really. No, I don't even know if anything can fix it at this point because Dang. it's like when you if you have something that's torn off and I'm I'm completely speaking out of line here. I don't know the, the actual full extent of his injuries. I'm not a doctor. I haven't even seen his MRIs. But what he was explaining to me is that he tore it early in his career and that he just been using bands and all these things to keep all the other muscles strong and keep the stabilizer strong. But eventually that shit just gives out. And then it just popped out of socket during the fight. Yeah, that was yeah. And we, we we've seen a couple of shoulder injuries now. It's like mm -hmm. crazy how it happens to one person and it starts happening. Aaron Pico had his shoulder popped out. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Brian Ortega. Oh, Prohaska. Yuri, Yuri Prohaska's shoulder popped out, and his guy tried to put it back in and tore his shit. Oh no way! Yeah, That's they, were, they were trying to manipulate it and put it back in, and it fucked it up even worse. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah but get a bunch of guys yanking on your shoulder. <laughs> oh, we got it. We got this. We got this, buddy. Fucking. That's the fighter mentality. It's like, ah, it's, it's yeah. all right. Rough some dirt in it. Like, I won't go to the doctor or hospital unless, unless I'm unconscious or I, I really, really need it. Like, I'm trying to avoid that at all costs of just seeing a doctor. I don't care what's going on with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm afraid of it. I don't. Uh, if there's any chance you're gonna tell me I can't fight or don't don't train anymore, I'm gonna be like, no, nah, f you. I'm. It's all right. I, what's I'll just your worst injury you've ever had so far? <sighs> For me, honestly, is uh. I've had two detached retinas. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and was one of them for the Leon fight? No, it was. I had uh, one before that fight. Um, it was. I think it was after. Uh, it was from training. It was. I was training one day and I'm sparring, and then all of a sudden, like I see like black at the top of my eye, and I'm like, rub it, whatever. So I go back to sparring, light sparring, we're moving, we're grappling, and then it's like. It just becomes literally like all black. Oh, but like Jesus. you can see it, but it's like a film of black over your eye. And I'm like, what the fudge is going on? And then I'm like, all right, well, let me go to the doctor. And then, like, the doctor just like, gives me, like, a look. And I'm like, he's like, oh, yeah, you, we got to go to surgery immediately. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what's what's going on? What's wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, he's like, 
yeah, you have a detached retina. You could go blind. And I'm like, you know, you're thinking of Michael Bisbing yeah. and what happened to him. And you're like, you don't know what to do. So then, you know, we go to the, I had to go like the surgery right away. Cause he's like, the longer you wait, the, you, you're going to lose vision more and more. So they had to like put a bubble in your bubble in my eye. And then like, I still didn't know what it was. So like, I'm assuming like once he takes the band-aids off and be able to see. So he takes the, you know, the next month I go in there, get the surgery done. And then like the next Monday I go in there and takes the band-aids off. And I'm like, bro, I still can't see. He's like, no, it's going to be, we have to see what it's going to be like. And what it was like eight weeks to 12, eight to 12 weeks, you're going to have a bubble in your eye and you have to like hold your head on a tilt like this. Yeah. 12 weeks for 12 weeks. And you have to tilt your head sideways for 12 weeks. Yeah. Like you have to keep the bubble in its place. So like lines up the, the retina or like seals it back in. And then like, I couldn't watch, like I had a, uh, you know the massage tables where you have to put your head mm-hmm. down and those, like yeah. I had to sit on one of those to watch TV with a mirror that was downward and it was like pointing up there to the TV because I couldn't look up like this. Oh, like I had to keep whoa. my head down so the pressure's on there. So I'm like, I had to watch TV like this. For you like, had to watch TV through a hole in a massage table? <laughs> Dude, it was, honestly, it was like the most depressing thing that I've ever gone through in my life and it was like the hardest thing. Wow. And it was like one of those things too where it was like, I'm not one of those guys that like, cries wolf or anything so like i kept it to myself i didn't even tell my parents or my family i would just like go to the house with sunglasses on and see them and then wow. just like avoid seeing them type thing like that so then so they, they didn't even know you had no. a right now well now wow. they know now from here but <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it was like it was rough because you can't do any working out i'm a guy that works out constantly two to three times a day and so for 12 weeks you could 12 do weeks shit? gonna do nothing could you even go walk around the block no uh, i could go walk but but no elevated it, not, not a lot yeah not a lot so wow and for like the first uh four weeks it was just like i had to stay in this specific, specific position the whole time wow yeah and then like you had to sleep with your head down like i'm a back sleeper too so i had to sleep with my head down on a massage table too like Jeez. that like i had to stay in that position the whole time and then like 12 weeks period goes and like the bubble just like starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking so you're always seeing like a little bubble in your eye and then finally by the 12 weeks it was done but then he was just like yeah like i wouldn't fight anymore oh boy yeah and then you're like no i'm gonna fight i don't care what you say type thing and so then i go back to regular training and i start wearing like one of those uh face like catcher's face masks to like mm-hmm. sparring and training i'm wearing goggles to train and roll in and, like, I just don't know how it's going to react once I go back to sparring and hitting hard again. How long did it take before you felt, like, confident? Confident. It, at like, the 12-week period was where the bubble was gone. And then probably, like, maybe, like, eight weeks into it after that where I was getting trying to get back into shape, getting back to the thing, and finally trying to go hard sparring without the goggles on. Oof. Yeah, so it was it was rough. Do you remember what you got hit with? Where? No, and that was the thing. Like, I don't remember what specific thing happened to it. So mm. it, like, didn't make any sense. But, like, you know, you get poked in the eye sometime during training or anything, but, like, you just don't think nothing of it. So, you know, you yeah. don't really go get checked. But, like, I never wondered. And uh, so then he's just, like, it was just constant wear and tear on it. So so did, after you got the surgery done, did was there a point in time where you're like, hey, I don't know if my career is going to be over here? That, that point was after, during the Leon fight. When he poked it, and mm. literally I couldn't see nothing, and I was like, "This is same what the doctor eye. said." Yeah, I was like, "I was like, I'm blind," and I was like, "And then you're like, you waited this long to get a main event. You waited this moment, and it just got taken away from you." And you're like, mm. "I'm done fighting," and it was just like, 
Well, even worse, maybe you can't see now. Yeah. Well, for, for in that moment, you're just thinking like, dang. Right. Like I, because fighting is my life for, for me, and I'm like, this is what I want. This like my goal is to be right here at the top to be a champion. So just like get it taken away from you. I was like, not seeing it second nature. I'm like, man, I can't train. I can't fight. I can't do this. So that was like the most heartbreaking thing. And like knowing that I probably had to go through it again, not knowing what type of surgery it is. The doctor told me not to do it. Like you should have stopped. What's wrong with you? Mm. And you're like, fudge it. But how long did it take? I like how you won't even say fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> how long did it take before uh, your vision came back after that poke? In the Leon fight, it yeah. was like it was like forty minutes after that. Then I realized that my eye was just like they. I had to get like three stitches under the bottom eyelid, and uh, that's when I realized that my eye was just closed. Mm. It wasn't uh, blind because I didn't realize oh. my eye was like closed. I was like. Bro, I'm fucking blind. I'm like done. But then they're like, right. the guy's like trying to open it like this, and he's like, "Do you see any light?" And I'm like, "I see light. I see light." Oh. And then, uh, yeah. So then, probably when I got back to the hospital, they had to do like stitches in the bottom, uh, the bottom eyelid. And he mm. was like, "Don't blink." And I'm like oh, having a stitch there with my eyes getting stitched. Don't blink. Yeah. And I was Ugh. like, "What the fudge?" And I was like, "It was like the worst thing ever." So then, thankfully. I was just like it didn't. It wasn't the detached retina again. I was like, thankful. I felt blessed. But you had two detached retinas, and it had in the other eye as well. When did that one happen? It was after that one. So really, um, after the Leon fight? Yeah. So uh, after that one, it was after the Luke fight. I mean, uh, not detached retina. What you call it? Uh, my lens was de uh, detached. Oh Jesus! Yeah. So in the third round of the Luke fight. I don't, he just like hit me and I was like, I'm in the corner and I like feel something like weird in my eye. It's like she, like a shield in front of it. And I was like, what the fudge did it? Like, I felt like I just got like poked and I'm trying to rub it. And it's the uh, Tate, the uh, cub man. He's like, bro, ain't nothing in your eye. Stop playing. And I was like, dude, I feel like something, but I'm like, I still could see a little bit out of there. So I'm like, all right, well, whatever. I'm just going to keep fighting. So I'm like, I just got to take him down. And it was like the, the, I only had two rounds left and I thought I won like the first three rounds. So then I was like, all right, well, whatever, whatever. And then, Afterward, I'm like, the doctor's like, well, it doesn't look like there's anything detached or uh, torn in there. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So then I wait till I get back home, and they're like, uh, your lens is, uh, it was like loose. So then I had to have surgery on the lens part oh. of my, yeah. When they do that, are you awake? No, no, they put me to sleep. Yeah, they put me, they, <sighs> but I like, like I said, for the first uh, detached run, I didn't know how long it was going to be before I see. But thankfully with this one, it was just, it was like full of blood afterward, but I was able to see. So I was like, "Did you see that new guy from Dagestan that uh, got signed by the UFC in the middleweight division? That's blind." Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's crazy. I was like, "Yeah, I didn't know you could fight." I, I, I thought didn't. Bisping had a lie all yeah. these years about being blind in one eye, but this dude, see if we could find that guy. He's a fucking killer too, man. Na nasty striker. Yeah, I met him in uh, in Dubai, and his uh, he came and took a picture with me, and he was like, oh, "I'm undefeated fighter," and I was like, "Oh yeah, man, look at him. He's got one eye." Sharaputin Magomedov, nasty striker too, but he's got one eye, which is really crazy, man. He, fighting on a Moscow, Russia, 28-year-old forced to undergo eye surgery before making a return to the cage in 2021. Yeah. That's which, crazy. It's crazy because I didn't think that that was 
legal. Yeah. I thought if you maybe there it's only legal in certain states. Maybe he only has to fight in certain places. I don't know what the what the laws are. Yeah, it's but weird. I thought like Bisping said he had a lie. He had to memorize the charts. Yeah, so I know you, you have them. to get eye test every single time beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. and they check it all like that way. So Yeah. I was I was sitting there reading the Bisping book and it's thinking like, man, am I ever gonna have to do that? Where <sighs> figuring out a ways to lie and everything and just like reading his book and listening to his book, it was crazy because like the way he described it. And when I had to detach retina, you're like, you're going to like the retinal doctor and it's like nothing but old people in there. Yeah. And it's like, like I don't belong in here with these like older people. Like why, why am I having to get this stuff? And right. all the nurses in there are like, what happened to you? Like you shouldn't be in here. These are for people with like cataracts and stuff like that. Like yeah. you don't get later in life. So. Bisping's a fucking gangster. I mean, he fought like 11 fights like that. 11 <laughs> fights with one eye. Won the title with one eye. Yeah. It's wild. He's one of the guys that like, I like try to mimic a lot because he was good everywhere. He was one of those guys, and mm-hmm. people used to call him pillow hands and all the other stuff. But he would freaking light guys up in there. His cardio was his weapon, and he'll break guys. Call him pillow hands. He won, beat Luke Rockhold by knockout. <laughs> yeah, with a left hook. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and it was a beautiful punch too. The way he slipped it over the shoulder. He, uh, it's like one of the toughest guys that's ever fought. Just, just mental toughness, the fortitude to fight like that with one eye. It changed, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a different type of man that's willing to do that. And like I said, you got to want it that much more because like you said, like after your career, there's a life after your career. Yeah. How, how bad do you want to be a champion? How 34. 34. When you think about how much time you have left in this life to have one eye to go through that all that yeah. time because of fighting. And they, you know, there's certain things they can do now to fix eyes, but I, I sent Bisping an article actually that I read about them uh, bringing vision back to people that have lost eyes, but he said it didn't apply to him because his nerves are already dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nerve, dang, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So your right eye is the one that you had the lens detached? Yeah. Did th- that, when that got fixed, how long did that take? Was it the same process? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't as bad as that one. It was just like, it was probably like four weeks after that one that I was able to, I was able to see right away, but it was like just full of blood. So I just had to wait for the blood to clear out of the eye. And um, yeah, after that, it was just clear. And like, same thing, same mindset of trying to get back into training and everything and getting over that hump. I was training with goggles on still. And wow. You're still thinking about it like, all right, and my eyes just jinxed. Am I like, is there something wrong with that? Or is God trying to tell me something? Do you think they could do a better job designing the gloves? For sure. I yeah. think so. And, or like enforcing the rules better. If you're going to tell guys, like, hey, if you put your fingers like this, don't do it, but they give you like 25 warnings. Yeah, it I doesn't really make any sense. One eye poke, one point right yeah. away. Right away, take a point away. And I don't because care how bad it is. Even if it's not intentional, it's damaging. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're compromising the other fighter's ability to fight. They can't see as good. They're, they're fucked up because now their eye hurts. Like, so then now they have to think about something, which is going to, it's going to occupy their mind. There's so many factors. I and think you, you got to be that guy too. That's, you can't say that uh, you got to tell them that the doctor that, Oh, I'm, I'm good to fight. Otherwise you don't look tough. Yeah. And you could be like a DC when you fought Stipe and he said, I dude, I couldn't see the whole time. Yeah. And his eye was like literally full of blood. I'm like, bro, that was a terrible poke. Eye pokes and nut shots. <sighs> I think yeah. I poke, I think eye pokes even more than nut shots because with a proper cup, with a really good, like a diamond MMA cup yeah. or a steel tie cup, you could take a nut shot. It hurts, but yeah. it's not going to really compromise you the way an eye poke is going to compromise you. Yeah. Eye pokes change fights. Change everything. Change everything. And it, 
I don't care who you are or how tough you think you are. Like, if you can't see or yeah. your eyes shut, like, you're, you're just going to keep going to that side. Yeah, you're yeah, done. Yeah, you're fucked. And it's just, it can ruin careers. And, you know, they have gloves that are better. That's a, Trevor Whitman has designed a glove. Uh, he's got that company called Onyx. Yeah. You, you use his stuff? Yeah, yeah, I've used his boxing gloves. His boxing gloves are really good. Fantastic stuff. But his MMA glove is so superior, and it keeps you in a curved position. It keeps your hand curved, whereas the UFC gloves keep your hand stretched out, and you have to close it on purpose to make a fist. With this glove, it's naturally like this. The whole time? Yeah, the whole time. Oh, wow. So you can still grapple because you can open it up, and you can clamp down on stuff, but... But your natural inclination, see if you can get a video or a, a photo of it. He, he's, his gloves are the shit. And I know he was in negotiation with the UFC. I forget what happened. Something went wrong. And I talked to the UFC and I talked to him. I'm like, what is going on? Do that. Get his gloves. Yeah, the there must be gloves. a way to make it work. Yeah. I think like the UFC, well, I don't know what the story was. But there was some business deal that they could, a bridge that could not be crossed. I don't know what it was. If, it, if I, I wish... There's a lot of things that I wish I was in control. If I was in control, that glove right there, that's his glove. It's the shit. It's better you, foam. It keeps your fist like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. You stay like that the whole time. Yeah, my fist, like I'm not clenching it to yeah. hold it like that. It's just naturally like that. They're the best gloves, man. They're the, they're the best by far. Wow. I love them. And they're also better foam. It's a superior foam. Yeah, Trevor, yeah, yeah. Trevor's a genius. It's... Trevor really knows his shit when it comes to creating equipment, and also he has a you know a long history of combat sports. But those Onyx gloves, the boxing gloves, his shin pads are the best. His fucking everything he has is the best. Is he making those gloves by the other ones by hand? Though? I, I mean, do not know. I do not know. Like, I don't know how he's doing it. But because with the UFC ones are weird. Like sometimes you'll get you'll get a pair on fight day, and it's like a lot harder and a lot stiffer than normal too. And then some some fights you'll be like, oh, these feel way better. Isn't got, that? That's his eye poke. Pulled up. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! You bring a bad bad memories. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Come on, bro. Yeah, sorry. Oh my God, that's what it looked like. That oh, was the Leon dude. one, yeah. Dude, that is in there. Oh it, my it, God, Leon got his finger in your eyelid. Look at that. Yeah, I had to get stitches in that whole bottom part. Of yeah, the it looks eyelid. like he cut it with his fingernail. Yeah. But, well, now that he's a champ, you got to be looking at that. I mean, after the Sean Brady fight, I mean, you're in the hunt, right? It, that's what you would assume. But, you would assume. But you get mad because guys like him are trying to push the narrative. Well, I won the first round, and the rest of the fight was going to go like that. And it it's funny because it's like how much he was getting killed by Usman, and he won in the last 30 seconds. So right. you would sit there. I'd be like, oh, let me get the Leon fight. Well, he was killing you. Every single person. Oh, he was killing you. And you're like, There's a reason bro. why fights are five rounds yeah, or I, three rounds. And then yeah. for a guy like me, I'm like, I took that fight on two weeks' notice. It was short notice, first of all. Secondly, my head coach, Lou Taylor, he had COVID that day, so they took they took him out. So then I had to get a new coach in the corner. Uh, shout out to Coach Safe Saud. He was he was in there, oh, but the it was still player? the first time nice. trying to mesh our teams together, and it was all just first main event, everything. So I'm like, bro, give me a full camp. I'm a guy that likes to study fighters. I study my opponents. I'm like. For the Sean Brady fight, we were studying him so hard. We were like, all right, he's going to come out. His first strike is always a left inside kick. And literally, that's the first thing he did. Like, I'm looking at how you react to a single leg, how you react to a double leg, how you, how you get on top. Khabib sending me mm -hmm. videos like he goes for a rear naked choke with his only his left hand. He doesn't use his right hand for uh, I mean, uh, a guillotine. So be careful with that. It's like we're looking at the smallest details with everything. Right. And you can't really do that for a one-week notice fight. Right. No, you can't. And you also, you're not going to change your conditioning and your preparation and what you do and what you don't do. You know, you don't have enough time. Yeah. It's a good fight. Yeah. I'd like that fight. I'd, like, I'd love to see that rematch. I mean, he's talking about uh, Masvidal. 
And that's what he keeps talking about. But because you know he wants to get him back for sucker punching him backstage in London. Yeah, but you had four years to to try to get that back yourself, like, and you you it didn't come. Yeah. So you weren't pushing it that hard. I understand the money fight, and it's gonna sell pay per views, obviously. But well, he's got to get past Usman. You know, he's Usman in March. What do you think about that rematch? I mean, if Usman fights that fifth round cautiously, that never happens. You know, if he fights that fifth round and just, uh, you know, circles away from him and, and and doesn't try to close the distance and doesn't try to take him down or doesn't doesn't engage, just plays defensively, he wins that fight. But, you know, what Leon did was perfect. I mean, it was yeah. the perfect tie kick. You can't take a, a thing away from him. The guy's down at least two rounds, three rounds, going into the fifth. He's losing the fight. It's for the title. He shows him the left and hits him with a perfect high kick. I mean, yeah. you can't take anything away from that. That was that was the most consequential high kick of all time because it's from behind. He's coming from behind. He's fighting for the title. He's fighting a guy who already beat him before. He's fighting Usman, who at the time was the man of mans. I mean, yeah. he's the, everybody thought he's the greatest welterweight, and uh, arguably is the greatest welterweight of all time, right up there with George St. Pierre. Yeah. And then, boom, lands a perfect high kick. Yeah, I mean, people so many times, when people say, oh, it was a lucky kick, I like, I'm like, bro, you can't call anything lucky in the sport. Especially because kick. You throw it to land it. There's, I'm yeah. not throwing any strike not to land it. And it's just... Yeah, you're talking to assholes. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a lucky kick. Fear is so funny, but do you Silly think people. that he's able to do the... You think he's going to come out this fight just wrestling him? Who knows, Usman? man? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, Usman has problems with his knees, man. Like, real problems with his knees. And now his hand. Like, we're seeing yeah. with a cast on every time. And I'm, mm -hmm. like, hitting up Ali because we both have the same manager. Shout out to Ali Abdelaziz. And I'm messaging him, like, bro, what's this talk with Usman? Like, if he's not fighting for the title, it needs to be me. Like, it can't be Masvidal. Right. And he's, like, no, it's going to be Usman. It's going to be Usman. And I'm, like, why aren't they announcing it? They announced London. Like, why are they not announcing the fight? And then they finally announced it, but like I was on him all the time. And what did like, he get done to his hand? There's something with like the ligaments, I think, in his like thumb or something that they had to like reattach. Well, he got surgery before the fight. Yeah, and so he got another surgery after the fight. So did yeah. it re tear? I think it was. I'm not sure if it or tore in the fight. Injury? I think it was probably a different injury. See if you can if find can out find what, that. what injury it was. Man, it's just. Your own, your body can only take so much. I mean, you only have so many years in this game, and yeah. with Kamaro, he's always had bad knees. I mean, he's got he can't run. He <laughs> openly talks about it. He does all of his cardio on like a uh, assault bike and does all, all sorts of different stuff for cardio. But in terms of like road work, he said he can't even like he he walks backwards downstairs. Yeah, I, I've bad. heard about that too. I'm Crazy. a I'm a big swimmer. I'm like. Running, yeah, I, I'm still getting my miles in, but, like, I love just swimming. I don't have, like, the best swimming. technique, but, yeah, it's, it's, you don't get the same wear and tear on your body as yeah. you would get with all that extra stuff on there. That's So that's your your favorite form of conditioning, swimming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. swimming is my favorite form. And I do, like, longer uh, bike rides now, being with Paul Felder, uh, seeing, like, how he's been doing triathlon stuff. So, like, I'll do, like, 20 miles, 30-mile bike rides. Really? Yeah, yeah. Paul's, like, a serious triathlete, though. Isn't that wild? It was funny because when he was when he started, when he was fighting with us at Rube Sport, he was training with us, and, like, I'll tell the guys, I'm going to swim, and then he'd be like, all right, let me go try it. And he only used to, like, he'll swim a lap and then walk a lap and then swim a lap. Like, he would not know how to swim. And <laughs> now he's, like, 
all in. Like we went swimming and he's just sitting there lapping me like, oh, you want to do one of my workouts? And we're, we're in there and I'm looking at my watch and it's like a two mile swim we've done so far. And then he's like, all right, now I got to go ride the bike for three hours. And I'm like, bro, I'm going to get lunch. Three hours? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. After a swim. And I'm like, bro, he looks so thin. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. He doesn't even look like the same guy. When I see him get interviewed or interviewing fighters, he looks like a bantamweight. I tell him, I'm like, bro, you can make 135. You, he's like yeah. walking around at 165. When he used to cut weight, he'd be at, he'll come into camp. Like he would, he would come to us when he would do his camps at Rufus Sport, and he would sit there and like measure stuff before practice. Like, let me get six blueberries and like two <laughs> almonds. He was that guy because he was thick. He was small. Yeah, he was pretty big. Yeah, and I'm like. I can't live like that because people would always tell me like, oh, you need to go 155. Like the first time I met Habib, he looked at me. He's like, you're, you're lightweight. And I was like, no, I, I think I'm a welterweight. And he's like, no, no, brother, you, you need to go lightweight. And I was what like. What do you weigh right now? Like 190. That's probably what Islam weighs. Yeah. He's, he's, he's big. After seeing him in person and. What does Islam walk up, around at? I feel like. Minimum 190. So when he cuts, how much water is he cutting and how much is he just dehydrating himself like throughout the, the month of camp? I mean, honestly, like the way they do it is different. How for, they do it? For, you know, because we're over there and it's, uh, we're in Dubai and we had like full buffets everywhere. And it's like after our, our morning, wake up, go downstairs, we had like a buffet. Then after practice, our first practice, our lunch was like a buffet and like a room. All the guys would go in there. We all eat together. And it's like you're getting like, oh, this tray's full of lobsters. This tray's full of steak. This tray's oh, full no. of kebab. This tray's full of rice. This oh, tray's no. full. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm there and it's like five weeks before the fight. So I'm like trying to like deload calorie count and everything like yeah. that. And I'm like putting in a small plate and they're like, oh, brother, you're, you're cutting weight already? And I was like, I'm just dieting. I'm not really cutting yet. But they're like still eating normally. And like they don't really start the the hard cutting into probably like two weeks out, where or like fight week where they're they're pushing it. They're like working it off. They're like they have a sauna suit on on Monday, and they're on a treadmill that way. Really? Yeah. So, do what do you think the right way to do it is? Do you think their way to do it is the right way, or do you think you can only do it that way so many times? For for me, I used to do it kind of that way. Like before, it was just me and my coach. And like I said, we had a small gym, so like we'll go places and it'll be like fight week. And I'm like doing bear calls with a sauna suit on, on the treadmill. And he's like making me do like boot camp classes with a sauna suit on. So like I'm dying, I'm draining myself. And then, you know, you get to, you start learning these nutritionists and they're like, there's a science to weight cutting now, you know, water load, start water loading. And because I was like just starving myself. I had like fight week, I had like one piece of spinach and a like chicken breast thinking I'm cutting weight the right way. But now with these new nutritionists and they're like doing the whole water load changes everything. Mm. And like I don't start – I don't really even start trying to cut weight until the day before. So I'm trying to sweat it all out. So I'm doing two gallons from Monday until uh, Thursday. And then Thursday I cut out all the water and then I just go in the sauna literally 30 minutes and I'm usually done. So it's like really? easy. For, yeah, for me it's it comes off super quick. So the week of like – if you got to get down to 170, week of what are you weighing when you wake up? 184. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. And so then you're just drinking shit tons of water. Yeah, I'm drinking so much water, cutting out the salt, and eating more pr protein stuff. And, you know, they have these, like, these little, uh, like, fat uh, peanut butter balls and stuff like that that I'm eating and munching on. But this fight camp, it was, like, my first time doing the bath. Like, I never did the bath before. So, like, I'm usually a guy, like, I'll go in the sauna. I like to stretch out in there. Mm -hmm. And then 
30 minutes in of a good stretch, I'm like, usually on weight. So this time he's like, well, we'll just, we went in the sauna bag for like 20 minutes. And then we went under towels for like 10 minutes. And I was probably like 174 the night before. And he's like, just go to sleep. Cause you know, you're not usually uh, sleeping the night before a weight cut. So go to sleep now. We're not going to take it all off. We'll just do it in the morning. So the next morning he's like, we'll just do it. We'll try a bath. And I was like, oh, I never did a bath before. I don't want to try it. And he's like, dude, we're going to try it. Everybody does it. It's going to work. So I'm in the bathtub and, you know, they put the water to a certain temperature. It's like 108 degrees or something. And I'm literally in there for 20 minutes. And I get out of there and I'm laying on the bed. And he's like, all right, we got to do another bath. And I'm like, all right, whatever, man. Let me just, let's just weigh myself real quick so I could uh, see how much I have left. And uh, so I woke up at 174. And then after 20 minutes in the bath, I was 165. What? <laughs> yeah, I overcut. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was like, what the fudge? She's like, wait, hold on. We got to go downstairs and check it on the scale downstairs. So I went downstairs and checked it on the UFC scale, and I was 165. Wow. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. That's crazy. So the bath, is that effective? He said, from now on, he's like, bro, from now on, we're doing the bath. Because I was like, I didn't realize. I didn't think about it because I'm like, bro, I need to be, I need to feel the sweat. Like, I'm in the bathtub. I don't know if I'm sweating or not. And he's like, dude, trust me, you're sweating, you're sweating. And I'm like, annoyed because I'm like, you know, you're cutting weight. I'm like, bro. I never want to do this stupid bath anyway. You guys have me sitting in here. Damn, you cut over by five pounds. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I was like, and I looked at it. I was like, man, maybe 155 is possible. But I was like, it yeah. It is possible. Yeah, if you get like, down to 65, that's only 10 to go. Have you thought about doing it? 155? Yeah. Uh, earlier on, but not now. I'm like, I've never felt out-muscled or anybody at 170. And I'm like, I'm so close to the title fight at 170. I'm like, what would be the point of going out at 55? Just to see what it feels like. If I if I get to the point where they're still like not giving me a shot or like pushing me at all, then I was gonna like offer to go down there and be like let me see if I could make it, do a test run or something like that. There's some dudes who get to 55 like Islam, where I'm like, how are you 155? You're so big. Yeah. Or Drew Dober. Drew <laughs> Dober's a big motherfucker. It's crazy when you see him weight cut because yeah. like his whole face, his chin is like all mm-hmm. gone, and then when he puts it all back on, he's like super stoked yeah. and jacked. And you're like the Giga Chad. <laughs> yeah, I was like. Huge. Dude, I was like, this all makes no sense at all. Yeah, Drew Dober's built like a brick shit house. It's he's a big boy for fifty five too. Like, I wonder what he actually walks around at. He's got to be in the eighties. Yeah, I think a lot of these guys. Yeah. So that's what he looks like at weight. But then you see him inside the octagon. Well, that's oh my god, how thick he is right there. Yeah, he's pretty thick. He's got a hell of a chin too, man. That dude's got the squarest of square jaws, and he uses know? it to fight. I'm like, oh my god, that Bobby, Bobby Green, Green was fight? hitting him with some bombs. Oh boy, and he was so fast. You can take it though. Yeah, he's tough. Yeah, it's interesting to see a guy like him get smushed. Like when Islam smushed him, you're like, man, like what is that squeeze like? That has got to be some otherworldly squeeze. Yeah, I tell guys, I'm like, you never felt it. It's it's different. Like they'll, oh, you just you just on oh, their nuts. You're doing this, and I'm like, bro, roll with one of them. Feel how it is. Are you gonna do your future camps with them as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna like I've literally been messing with the guys trying to go to Dagestan, uh, but they're they're heading out to Australia now. But they have some right. guys that are out there. But I definitely want to go to Dagestan because I know Habib's done coaching right now. Mm-hmm. But is like, he done? Done? That's real. Yeah, he, they said he's he's gonna be done. And why did he Why did he decide to leave coaching? I, he just spend more time with his family. Like I was telling people, he goes when they're in camps, they're all in. They're all like, they're all together. They're all, they're like one big family where it's I'm gonna be every single practice with you. I'm gonna be here, and they travel so much. And for him, he has to corner this guy here. Then you got to go to Australia. Then you got to go right. to Vegas. And you know he has two young kids, and 
seeing how he is with his kids. Like he brought his son out um, to Dubai when we were out there, and it was just cool to see because you never see that side of it. You never see their family right. life. They don't post any of that or anything like that. So it was cool to see. And like him wrestling with his son, and he was showing me videos of his son uh, doing gymnastics, and his son's going to be a beast. So wow. just seeing how he is, like kind of like how you're smiling like there, that's how he was when he was like showing me his video of his son. So like you could tell that he misses them. Yeah. And, you know, for him, when he goes to corner somebody, it's not just cornering. Like right. there's when you go to a different state, every single person in that state wants to see you. They all want to touch you. They all want to uh, get a piece of you. We were in Abu Dhabi and we went to go visit like the police department out there. And you know we're all there before Habib, so it's like me, Islam, like the whole team's there, and nobody's saying nothing to us. And I'm like, you know, Islam and all these guys are still here. Islam's fighting for the title, but like nobody's really caring. Then right when Habib walks in, every single person wa- runs out. They run out with roses, flowers, like wait for him to get out the car and following him. Mm. And you just see, he's just like a different level of superstar. So yeah. for him, he was also like telling me to like, I just want to get, I want to be able to uh, just go to Starbucks one time and just sit down and have coffee like I used to. Like, mm. I can't That's do that anymore. Happen, though. Yeah. Muhammad Ali couldn't do that when, before he died. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you reach a certain level of fame when that's just hit forever, and that's where he's at. I mean, he's a legend forever. Yeah. If he never coaches again, never steps foot in a gym again, that guy is a legend forever. Yeah. And I, I was going to consider him, like, if he stayed on this track, he would have been a GOAT coach. He would be a GOAT coach. Sure, he, he might, well, hopefully, he. I, I mean, I want him to be happy. I want him to do whatever he wants to do. But if he did decide to just do that, to just coach, I Man, the the knowledge that that guy has, and also the the amount of motivation he could give people, because you realize you're getting coached by the goat. Yeah, you know, and he doesn't ask for nothing in return. It's not like he's giving you his time, his effort. He's on the mats with you, rolling, and it's not like he didn't retire because he was out of shape or injured or anything like that. Right. He's still he's still that same Habib. He's still that same top pressure, that same uh, strength grappling. He's just heavier now. Which is wild. So he's just still moving like it's this. like a heavyweight now, right? Bro, and he's like, he's still freaking <laughs> so strong. I'm sure. And it's like, when somebody's rolling with you and they're sitting there, oh, order me a Starbucks. He's getting me like in a Kimura. Dude. And I'm sitting there like, bro, should I be like mad or like embarrassed? <laughs> And it's, it's like, humbling because there's guys out there like that and guys on his team that aren't in the UFC yet that are like that. And you're learning. Imagine those guys. You're growing up your whole life learning from these guys. His younger cousins, Umar and Usman, the Bellator champion, and Umar, who just fought this weekend, it's like they grew up under Habib. Umar's got such a different style, too, if you watch his style. like Real light on his feet and great kicks. He's got that great front kick that he throws. And, and he, the, like, question marks it a lot, yeah. too. He's, he's very smooth with he's it. He's smooth, man. And that combination that he threw that with that left hook and <sighs> dropped him, I mean, that was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And just, that's just a small side of him. Like, mm-hmm. his grappling is still there, same as their yeah. guys, but he has that striking, too. And I tell people, too, you sleep on Islam striking. All their guys, they all know how to strike. They just yeah. know what wins, what's well, the path to victory. He beat Oliver on the feet. Yeah. He beat Oliver on the feet. You know, and uh, Umar has a real potential to be the champion. He really does, man. He's he's fucking good, dude. And Honey Barcelos is no no joke. Yeah, Honey is really good, and for him to take him out like that, 
Nobody's ever impressive. beat him like that. No, and no. Like you said, he has. He's a black belt. He has. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a judo guy too, a, a great wrestler on the Brazilian team, and he has it all. So yeah. the way that Umar just showed patience and Such all these guys had that. Hook. They had that pressure. Just having that Nurmagomedov mm-hmm. last name. It's like people expect you to be great. Yep. So you're undefeated, and your brother just won the Bellator title. So you're going out there and. He's just relaxed, calm, yeah. cool, and he's picking up his head, waking him up afterward. It's like yeah, he did. their he, humbleness. He hit him with the punch, and then he realized he was out already, and he went and gra- grabbed the back of his head to help him. Yeah, they're immediately all like, them switched. guys. Man. Their yeah. humbleness, it was another level, and like learning from from them, and like being religious myself, but it's a different culture uh, in America. But mm-hmm. being over there five weeks with those guys, where they're everything's to the T, everything's to the dot. Like uh, I shared one of my. Um, my friend uh, Horacio, uh, he was on that that show that um, Masvidal was on that Mexican uh, what reality mm-hmm. show. He was on that show, and like I shared like a video from him on that show, and it was like women in bikinis. But he was just like it was more for him, and he was like, "Brother, we shouldn't share that uh, for us, you know. Uh, be better at that." And I was like, "Oh, now I share it for my boy." He's like, "Oh, well, I'll just share it with just him," and I was like, "It makes sense because being a Muslim, people look up to you, and I see younger guys look up to me, and I don't want them to think that." I'm this certain way. Like, I want to hold myself up to a higher standard. Like, they can't even look at girls in bikinis and videos? No, like, you know, you should, like, no, you're not supposed to. It's wow. supposed to be, like, lower your gaze, where it should only be you on your, you and your spouse or your wife or anything like that. So that's what a, that's what it should be. That dude who fought with the guy with one eye, who, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Magomedov. He actually got in a fight with someone in a mall in Dagestan because the guy was doing a public display of affection and he told him to cut it out the guy took a swing on him and he beat this dude's ass oh really yeah because apparently over there like you you can't even like kiss in public yeah it's a it's a different culture it's a different yeah. thing it's not like it's it's not like out of like hate or anything like that right. it's just like you shouldn't be doing that you should if there's kids around there shouldn't be you tongue kissing with a, a girl in front of you or anything like that and being a Muslim, being religiously, it should be like in the household. That's where it should be. It's just like holding yourself to different type of standards. And obviously, you want to show love and self with your wife. Hold hands. You don't have to be freaking making out in public and everything like that. But in America, it's a different culture, obviously. Right. And it's you start seeing now more like Americanized Muslims where they're like, oh, well, what if we do it this way or that way? It's like, no, you can't just like switch what's in the Quran. You can't switch what's in written down already. It's been like that for for how many years and in Dagestan everybody's like that they all had mm. that same mentality and being in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for those five weeks it was great for me because it was like not an eye opener but it was just more like refreshing because you're training and then you're here to call a prayer so every single person I don't care if you're the janitor or the 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 workman or the fighter or anything you're all going to pray at the same time you're all shoulder to shoulder praying next to each other mm. and there's no like ranking in that raw shoulder to shoulder raw praying to the same God doing the same exact thing at the same exact time and you don't really get that kind of feeling in America it's like if I pull out my rug to pray on the street uh, at a certain time it's people are looking at you weird like oh what is this or you'll have random people just like beeping or saying stupid things mm. because they don't understand what it is they don't understand the, the discipline it is to alright this is God's time now this we're supposed to pray five times a day. I don't care where it is. What you're doing, it needs to stop for this. And every single one of those guys had that mentality. Like, 
God's when you, when ahead you stop of all to pray, us. how long do you stop for? Every prayer is probably like five, ten minutes long. So once you're once you begin the prayer, it's 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 not that long. So like I tell people all the time, where they're like, "Dang, you got to pray five times a day," but in the end, it's fifty minutes out of your life, fifty minutes out of your day, out of twenty four hours, when you waste so much time scrolling through TikTok, scrolling through the phone, and things right. like that. It's like give those ten minutes to God, give those ten minutes to the person that brought you here. How does it work on a day you fight? Same thing. Uh, usually, so there's a morning prayer when you wake up in the morning prayer. Then there's afternoon. Then there's a midday prayer. And then there's a sunset prayer right when the sun sets. So usually I'm right after that prayer is the fights after that probably. And then after the fight, you pray again, your your late night prayer. So for me also, it just holds you accountable too to no matter what happens in the fight, whether you win or lose, I still have to. I still owe it to God to 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 pray. Whether it's I'm thanking Him for a win, or I'm thanking Him that I'm still able to pray. I'm still alive right now after this fight. That I'm still here because anything can happen. These prayers are at very specific times during the day, or could if you were in the middle of something, are you allowed to put it off and then pray afterwards? So you have a time frame. So from the morning prayer, you have all the way until the afternoon prayer to to do it. And then from the afternoon prayer, you have to the midday prayer. And then there's some people that I tell people all the time, like. When you're starting out, if you pray a prayer late, do it late. Like get the quantity in, and then work on the quality later. But at least get the quantity in first. So you know you have to pray five times a day. So when you're beginning out, there's so many people that they come in, and my coach, he's a convert, uh, Lewis Taylor. He's he converted to Islam, and you know he had so many people telling him, "Oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. Why are you wearing this?" And it was just like turning him off from the whole thing. It's like. I was born from a different culture. I was born doing different things. My family isn't Muslim. So I, I'm, if I'm with them and you see me hanging out with people that do these type of things, don't come here and cry to me. Like I tell them, bro, go at your own pace. Start patiently. If you miss the morning prayer, I hit both of them in the afternoon. If you miss the afternoon prayer, I hit that one in the mid midday. But just get the quantity in. Talk to God. It centers you a lot of the time too because in those 10 minutes, you're not stressing. You're not thinking about the stress of the life. Oh, I got to I gotta get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. That normal people have in the workday. I think it's kind of like a meditation for me. And it just clears my mind, clears my head mm. and knowing that I got it done. And at the end of the day, I know that I did five, my five prayers. I That's the most important thing. I don't care. Oh man, I forgot to do my homework. I forgot to do this. I forgot to do the stuff that I was supposed to do for work. But it's like, I did the most important things, which is pray. And when you're in a camp, I would imagine that that kind of having a rigid schedule like that and having extreme discipline and having a real purpose, like when you're doing this to pray to God and you have these five prayers that you do during the day, like it keeps you on the path. Yeah. It, I mean, those guys, this, there's something to whatever Khabib's doing that's not just technique. It's not just that they have great technique. It's not just that they're tough guys. There's also this d devout, sort of uh ideology that they've ascribed to that they that they live their life by they're they're so devout in their religious beliefs that they have so much confidence it's almost like that's all taken care of like they can just concentrate on on what they do yeah like that all you know god has a plan for everything you don't have to like have this existential angst that a lot of people roll around through life with yeah we have a thing called tawaka this means like god's will so whatever his will is, that's what it is. So you could sit there and train and 
be super stressed out and like, am I going to win or am I going to lose this fight? It's like you just tell yourself whatever God's will, that's what's meant to be. I've had I've lost on the biggest stage. I've lost uh, my debut in the UFC. I'm coming undefeated and I'm like, I lose a, a close fight and I'm telling like, why did God do this to me? Like I pray five times a day. Like I, I'm a good person. I do this. And it's like when you're thinking back to that, it all brought you to where you are today. So knowing that his plan is always the best plan no matter what. So now when I look back at the losses I've had, it's like maybe I wouldn't be where I am right now. Well, I wouldn't be as tough as I am. I wouldn't be as smart as I am. I wouldn't have changed the ways I've trained. And I think that all of Habib's guys had that mentality. It's, you don't have the, the fear of losing because right. if, if I lose – I was meant to lose. If I if I fail, it was for a reason. There's a bigger plan in the end, and God may not show it to you now, but he may show it to you in a couple of years. He may show it to you in the next life. And because I go into every fight and I tell, I, I'm asking God, because we put our head down to the ground, and that's when you're like closest to God when we pray, and it's uh, called sujud. So when you're putting your head down, you're talking to the highest, and you you know you 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 talk deep from the heart because that's basically kind of like you're face to face with God and I always tell him before a fight and I'm like if it's gonna make me a better person a better Muslim grant me this victory if it's not then grant me the loss if it's gonna make me a worse person it's gonna give me an ego it's gonna make me unhumble it's gonna make me worse to the people that I love and the people that matter to me most which is my family then I don't want the win I don't want the victory I don't want the wealth mm. and just having that like that sense of Whatever happens, happens. It's meant to happen. I think it just changes everything. Well, it's, it's got to give you a feeling of peace because so many people that that if I think that for a fighter, having a religion like that, and especially being devout, it does have an advantage in that that's one more thing you don't have to think about. Yeah. You know? You don't have to. And it also just builds you up from you, when you're a kid. Just the mm-hmm. discipline of, yeah. I know I have to do this, this, and this every discipline, single day. I'm not allowed so to important. eat this. I'm not allowed to eat pork mm-hmm. i'm not allowed to do this i'm not allowed to gamble i'm not allowed to play drink or anything like that so it puts you in those things and a lot of those things are worse for you as a fighter anyway like you yep. shouldn't be drinking you shouldn't be eating pork yeah. you shouldn't be going to clubs or anything like that so in the end i think it's like the being that's why you've seen most of the muslims starting to be the best fighters out there well is it's also they're coming from really tough camps too i mean that is having a great camp is just such a massive advantage i mean and you must feel that having trained with khabib and his boys like that having a, an elite camp like that when you're surrounded by killers like you must rise up to the level of your competition that you're surrounded by yeah you have to there's no there's not no weak link in that gym every right. single person and there is a monster like you know, you have your regular gyms and you know that, oh, I could go with this guy because I'm, a, I'm feeling sore today. I'm feeling right, tired coast. today. Let me roll with him. Yeah, yeah, let me coast a little bit and just go smooth. No, yeah. them, it's like, you're going, oh, you're going to, oh, you want to go with me? You pick me? All right, let's go. And it's like, wait, wait, you, okay. I thought you were a 135 pounder. And he's so <laughs> strong and he's so, it, like I've rolled with Umar before and I was like, dude, this guy is like a monster. And they don't have that fear themselves where you go to gyms and it's like, oh, well, the weights on this side, the lightweights on this side, this side. No, they're all going together. What uh, what do they do for strength and conditioning? Um, a lot of their stuff is just they do a lot of normal stuff after practice that like burnouts with. We'll hold a plank, uh, heavy plank after we just grappled, sparred and everything. We'll stay on our, our hands. We have to stay there for two minutes, three minutes until like Habib sees you like breaking and then 
All right, push-ups, then jump squats, then lunges. And it's, I think it's those little burnouts after practice when you're tired and your arms are dead that levels you up with strength. But they also do have a strength coach that they would do uh, twice or three times a week uh, while we were in Abu Dhabi that he would put them more through, like, uh, high reps for, for time. So they'll go from, like, uh, doing shoulder presses to punching the bag, doing box, box jumps to, like, kicking the bag, little things like that. Um, that I think just like build strength and cardio at the same time. When you are in Chicago, do you have like a regular strength and conditioning coach that you work with? Yeah, yeah, I got a strength coach. Uh, shout out to Matt Murphy. We do like more like heavy lifting stuff. So it's, really, so for like certain body. So we do deadlifts. I'm going heavy on deadlifts. We go squats. I'm going heavy on squats. We go uh, bench press, and then all the other stuff is more like cosmetic, but like. The bases trying to look good. The not cosmetic, but like, <laughs> I we're, now we're gonna do these little uh, rolls or something like that. Lifts. Yeah, and then farmer walks. Yeah, farmer walks. So <laughs> when you're doing this stuff, like when you're saying you're doing heavy, like how heavy are you going? Are you are you doing a lot of like reps for strength or for uh, conditioning, or is most of the shit you're doing heavy stuff? So out of camp, I'm doing more more heavy. So right now it's just like a, a strength building phase. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets into camp mode, then it's more for reps. So like right now it's heavy with low reps. So I'm, if I'm benching, it's maybe 250 for like four or five reps, but they're like cluster sets where I'm putting it back on, then I bring it back down, then I explode back up with it. And then with squats, it's sitting down on a chair and then exploding up, sitting down on a chair and then exploding up with it. But it's heavier, but it's just... Uh, lighter reps and then when it gets closer to the fight he changes it up to like higher rep stuff for the conditioning aspect of it are you trying to put weight on with this heavy weight or are you just trying to maintain your strength i'm just trying to build more strength and explosiveness so i want to get stronger especially once you're in the the next guy my whoever my next opponent would be i figured it would be a stronger guy heavy grappler so i figured i would need the the strength and i'm not the biggest welterweight so i want to make up for it with strength and explosiveness like that. And I think when people look at me, they don't think that I'm strong, but when they feel me inside the cage, then I feel like it's a lot of them guys get like their eyes open. Like, oh, he's a lot stronger than I thought. Yeah, there's certain dudes that are just strong as shit and they don't look like it. Yeah. But you look strong. But oh, there's certain you. dudes, it's strength is like Ben Askren. Oh, just yeah, like yeah. certain strength. Like how the fuck is that guy? Like when you'd watch him fight in Bellator when he was in his prime, when like he was ragdolling like yeah. really high level fighters, and you're like, how? What is going on here? I know it's technique, but that motherfucker seems strong as shit. I used to train with him when I would go down to Rufusport, and I would like drive down there once a week. It's like two hours away from Chicago, but I would go in there and I would train with him. And I'm like, we're we're sparring with big gloves on, and you know he was the best striker. So I'm feeling like oh, I'm lighting him up, but once he grabs a hold of you. It's like he takes you down and you cannot move once you're on bottom. And it's with big gloves on. And like you really, it's really hard to grapple and hold people down with big gloves on. But like, so after that, every time I'll go with him, I'm like, I cannot let him grab his hands together. If he locks his hands together, I'm going down. And that was when he was still in Bellator. And mm. like you said, people don't realize how good he was back then. When he came to the UFC, it was a different version of himself. Yeah, he was already worn out by the time he got to the UFC. He already needed a hip replacement. You know, it's like. 
unfortunately, we didn't get him in his prime. He was in his prime when he was in Bellator. Even before he went to 1FC, you know, 1FC didn't even really get him yeah. in his prime. Bellator had him in his prime. And if you watch some of those fights, they're very impressive. And But Bellator didn't like it. They thought yeah. that style was boring. I'm like, you got a dude who could do whatever the fuck he wants to people. What yeah. he did to Koroshkov, I mean, like, my God. And Koroshkov's still killing it right yes. now. And that was when yes. he was in his prime, younger version of himself. Mm -hmm. And to have Ben just maul you and take you down at will. Yep. It's like I tell people, it's, it's harder to beat somebody for five rounds than it is to finish him in the first round. Mm -hmm. It's like if I could beat you, dominate you for 25 straight minutes, that's a harder task than me yeah. going out there and finishing you in one minute, one kick. That's it, like – those guys get all the credit, but it's like the guys like Ben, the, those are the ones that are having to push through for those full 25 minutes, dominating, knowing that all it takes is one punch or one kick, and they avoided all of that, got to be a real champion at 1FC, one, at Bellator, yeah. and he just doesn't get the credit. I was like, people don't make sense. Well, it's interesting to watch someone who's like a real specialist, and Ben in his prime was a real specialist, where he really wasn't a good striker, he really didn't submit guys. But man, if you got to hold you, you are gonna get wrestle fucked. <laughs> yeah, we, we, Duke Rufus would literally show like sparring drills. He'll be like, "Hi, right, we're gonna do striking drills," and Ben would just be like standing there with his, like his hands behind his back, just like looking up at the sky. And he's like, I'll wait for sparring, and he's like not doing the drilling at all. And that's I was so sitting there crazy. like, "What the heck?" But that's when I was like, when he was boxing Jake, yeah. I was I was wondering how serious he was gonna take because I'm like, I don't. He doesn't take striking serious at all, and yeah. if you're if you're a guy like Jake, who's who's athletic, he's tough, he's strong. All it takes is one punch to land. I'm like, yeah. I don't think Ben just took that fight serious at all. And he's no. one of those guys that I think nobody takes a loss better than like Ben Askren. Like he he got knocked out by Masvidal. He said, "Well, that sucked." That yeah. like when tweeted, I was like, I'm a, I'm a terrible loser. If I lose, like I don't want you to talk to me. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to. I don't want you guys to come near me. So to like see guys like that, it's kind of like. You want to learn from guys like that, honestly. How to relax and just yeah. be yourself after a loss. Yeah. Boy, he, he got ruthlessly taunted <laughs> on the internet, too. All the memes of him. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. that's what it sucks when you see guys like that who are OGs, him and Woodley, and when they lose like that and the world forgets that they were at the top. They were Tyron was one, one of the greatest best. welterweights of all time. Yeah. Tyron in his prime was a bad motherfucker when he knocked – I mean, he, he knocked out so many guys, but when he beat up Darren Till, when Darren Till was the man, when Darren Till was on his way up, he dropped him with a punch and then strangled him. Dude, people forget the Wonder Boy fights. I mean, he was the one who had Wonder Boy hurt. Wonder Boy, who's the great striker, yeah. never really had him hurt. Yeah, at all in either one of those fights. No, I mean, they were kind of boring fights, but again, unless you're going to fight him the way you fought him, I feel like you got to fight Wonder Boy in a boring fight. You got to make him lead. If he yeah. doesn't lead, if you're coming at him, his counters are just so nasty and his distance, his management of distance is so good. There's nobody better, I think, at distance. And John Jones. I'm I'm very interested to see how yeah. he comes back now, though. Yeah. Three years off. Well, it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so bummed out, man. I do not like this whole thing. I do not like this yeah. at all. I do not like when a champion leaves. I do not like I don't I do not like having the best guy in the world not being the champion. I do not yeah. like the best guy in the world not fighting for the title against John. If like if Francis wanted to resign and he wanted to say I'm done, I had a great career, but I made some money and I'm going to relax. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations, sir. You had a great career. But to not make it through negotiations. I don't know what the deal is. 
I, th- I suspect some of it involved him wanting to be able to box as well because there may very well be a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. But I don't know because Tyson Fury is back to fighting Usyk. real boxers. Yeah, he's fighting yeah. Usyk now. And there's a Deontay Wilder fight out there, I feel like. But well, do you really want, if you're Francis, do you want to fight a Wilder who's, he has that one punch power? Right. At least with Fury, I feel like Fury will dance around with you a little bit, let you show something. Well, I think, isn't Deontay supposed to fight Andy Ruiz? Isn't that what's supposed oh, to happen? That? Oh, yeah. I think so. Is that true? Yeah. Jamie says so. It's not booked. It's talked about. Well, uh, Andy Ruiz versus Francis would be interesting. That would be a fun one. That'd be interesting because Andy's got some fucking hands. And he's dude. fast. Yeah. He's so if Andy, an in shape Andy Ruiz like he was when he fought Joshua, damn, he's got some hand speed. I'm a big fan of Andy Ruiz, but that second fight with Joshua, he just got so fat. You could tell he's like. That was the, that was the money. That was the. Fat partying. Yeah, I'm like. Women and, you know, he showed up in my podcast studio in a Rolls Royce with a diamond-crusted watch. I was like, damn, Andy Ruiz. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it wasn't on the podcast. You're like, yeah, I don't, got no, I don't got a fancy car. You know, I just got a Rolls Royce. Or something Rolls like that. Royce. I was like, what? A Rolls Bitch, Royce? I don't even have a Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, bro, I'm still trying to. Get a Tesla or something. I was like, <laughs> you're talking about I don't got a fancy car. I got a Rolls Royce. Oh, he was balled out of control. And I think he was partying, too. And he had a group of boys with him. You know, they were having a good time. You know, you come from nothing, and all of a sudden you're the heavyweight champion of the world. You knock out Anthony Joshua in Madison Square Garden. Like, holy shit. Yeah. He's I, a hero. A lot it, of tacos, a lot of pussy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think I about the it. other boxy fight? Garcia against uh, Tank. Oh, man. Gervonta. I something. hope they make that one, though. Gervonta is something. He's so unique. He's so Gervonta is so interesting because he, I think, I think if you look at all the active boxers who are champions, he may throw the least amount of punches. Yeah. Because he sets guys up. And so the first few rounds, he's just calculating you, trying to find your openings, testing you, moving towards like the first. His first round of his last fight, I mean, how many punches did he yeah. throw? Like, very few. Yeah. But goddamn, when he hits you, you're fucked. Yeah. That dude can crack. He's so good. He's so accurate. And he's so sneaky the way he, like, dips to the side and cuts in uppercuts. And his power, man, his power is just extraordinary. I am really interested to see if Ryan Garcia can handle that. I don't know. I mean, Garcia's fast. He's He's got a great counter. And he says, I love fighting southpaws. I'm the, I'm the southpaw killer, but... Yeah, Oscar De La Hoya. Why has Oscar De La Hoya got fake abs? Have you seen that? <laughs> no, wait, does he? Bro, really? Oscar De La Hoya's got some fake abs. Go like to implants? O- yeah, something's going on, man. Oscar De La Hoya didn't have abs throughout his boxing career. Look at him now. Get the heck out of here. Bro, what's going on there? It's either either he's got some fake abs or he's going semaglutide. <laughs> One or the other. But the thing is, like, his abs don't match his chest or his arms. That's, you know, yeah, like, that's weird. Look how defined his abs are. Like, like look, they, even when he's sitting there, he's like the liver king. Like, look at this here. They're, like, fully tight. I mean, the thing oh is, it's like he's not that low body fat. This is why it's confusing. If you, like, look at his body, like his arms and his shoulders, when a guy has abs like that generally they're really shredded that's weird yeah yeah generally you have low body fat in your chest like everything looks defined if your abs look that defined yeah when your abs are that defined the rest of you is not that defined i'm like what like all these people are claiming that he got ab implants 
Maybe he didn't. Well, it's That's what of, I've been plants look like. So it looks like that. Pair. Damn. Kind of. Is that real? Like, yeah, that's wow, weird. Wow, that's crazy. They, they look a lot better than, I think that Liver King dude has them for sure. Oh, man, he I has to. I saw someone show that he didn't. He oh, didn't? He, did like, he, he was twisting his body in certain ways, and they, they kind of go away when he moves in certain directions. Right, but do these go away when I you move in certain directions? I don't think these go away because these are actual like, things in, in your body. Click on that one with the belly and the guy right next to him, right where your cursor is. Yeah, click on that one. There's that's, no way. Is that really it. they can do that? This is etching. Etching. Maybe so that's what like, Oscar did. Maybe like they dug like a knife in there to that's crazy. make him show up. I think when they say etching, what they use is liposuction. Is that but but is that real? Oh, that's what this is. But is it but that photo from that photo, is that real because that look that guy looks like legitimately jacked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he looks like those would be his abs. I don't know. I mean that this is from a men's health article, so they might be full of shit. Could Let be. me go go back to those images. So maybe that's what Oscar did. Maybe he did etching. But it's like all of a sudden he's got abs out of nowhere and he's showing everybody. That's that's so crazy. Very look at that one. Is that a woman? What is that right there with the blonde here? I got my laser pointer. I forgot oh, about that. Hold I'm on not so. looking at what you're looking at. Right there. In the middle. <laughs> what? I got a laser pointer, man. <laughs> I think this is the we might have pulled this. Is that a dude? Before. Yeah. What the fuck's going I on think there? This is that like uh, it's one of the surgery guys? Oh no! Yes. Yeah. Oh, that guy's insane. Human Kendall. Oh yeah, that guy's had. And like, he does have like this dude right here. Go to that dude right there. Oh, this one. Yeah, that's preposterous. Oh, that's just weird. Big fat belly with some crazy, fake abs. The, the ab thing is weird. So that is that what they look like? That thing right there. Let me see what they look like. Which ones are you looking at? Well, my laser here. pointer, bro. Well, I'm not looking at that screen. Look at my laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> look at my computer. <laughs> so is that what they look like? They're like little gelatinous thing. Oh, this that's is so, so disgusting. This is like a bad one. I don't know if that's what they're like. Oh, that, yeah, that guy's got abs and nothing else. That's what's weird. So it's like people sick. get ab implants, but the rest of their body looks like dog shit. But like, yeah, like why would you want it? Yeah. Like how bad do you... Uh, yeah. Narcissism? Yeah, know. narcissism. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Fucking weirdos. To build up your tinder so I don't know account. if Oscar <laughs> did that, but that's what people are accusing Oscar of doing. It doesn't look right, though. It just looks weird. Yeah. Man. Like you said, you didn't have it during boxing when you were in your yeah. peak shape. So that doesn't look too terrible right there. That just looks like he's flexing. His, the side abs are obliques. Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah, those look pretty strong. Yeah, it looks pretty good. But... But his biceps don't. Yeah, his biceps <laughs> and his chest don't. It's just weird Should when one area of your body is like very defined all of a sudden. Yeah, that's what's weird is that it's all of a sudden. Yeah, my uh, my girl is doing a seventy five day hard. Uh, it's like you do two workouts a day, one indoors and one outdoors for forty five minutes each time. Oh. Then you pick a, any diet you want to do. You can do any type of diet you want, but you have to stick to it for seventy five days. Mm. And you have to read like uh, like a motivational book, ten pages. Uh, every single day. That would wear me out. It's she's Just like the books, the motivational books. But her motivation is, I better have abs <laughs> at the end of this seventy-five days. And I'm like, I mean, if you're eating healthy and you're working out twice a day, I'm pretty sure you have at least two abs by the end of it. And I was like, depends on what you start from, though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what do you think of this John Jones Cyril Gone fight? Honestly, I think it's a, it's a tougher fight than Francis. Really? I do. I think that Cyril Gone, his movement, his footwork. He's so good with his front leg, and for John Jones, 
who when remember when he came back from OSP, he looked so stiff. Yeah. And that was a time off and putting a lot of muscle on. He just looked like a slower version of himself. So now this time, it's a longer uh, time off, and you're coming back with way more weight on, and you're going against one of like the faster heavyweights and the mm. more smoother heavyweights instead of Ganyu, where you know he lands that hard punch. I could do it, but I could just shoot under that hard punch. And Ganyu, I mean, uh, Ciro Gan, you have to watch the kicks, watch the footwork, cut them off. Yeah. It's, the it, thing it just, is that Ciro Gan was outgrappled by Francis when Francis had a bad knee. Francis' his knee was fucked up, and Francis outgrappled him and beat him handily with his yeah. grappling. Yeah. You know, I talked to Eric Nixick, and he said Francis' grappling is on a totally different level than he used to be before, and he's so big and so strong. Yeah. That, like, you know, he's uh, in camp with Blagoy, uh, Ivanov. Yeah. And, and he said he was just holding him down, doing whatever he wants to him. I'm like, that is really impressive. Because yeah. Blagoy beat Fedor in Combat Sambo. He's a monster. He's himself. a monster. He's the one who got like stabbed, right? Yeah, in the yeah. heart. Yeah, he's yeah. he's crazy. One time, I saw him at uh, you know, he's under Ali, and we Ali had like a media day for his fighters, and Blagoy like comes up to me and like I make picks every uh every fight, and I like circle fighters who I think is gonna win, and I post it on my Instagram, and he like came up to me and he like shoulder bump, he's like, you didn't pick me my last fight. And I was like, I was like, what? And I was like, dude, I don't even think, I don't even know your fighters even really pay attention. He's like, I was like, dude, I, now I started realizing that these guys are like watching it. But uh, of course they watch. Yeah, I was like, this guy's crazy. But I was like, man, I got to pick him every single time he goes now. <laughs> I was like, nuts. But yeah, I, I always talk to Eric Nixon. Eric Nixon's one of those coaches that he's like my brother. Where I'll call him after, hey, I, they're giving me this guy. What do you think about it? And he would always tell me, like, Francis is, Francis is one of those heavyweights that loves to wrestle. Like, you know, wrestling practice, strikers, they don't show up. They're, they don't, they hate to be in that grind. It's a different type of grind. They said, Francis is there all the time. He loves to be in that. Well, he wants to that learn. Mode. I mean, especially after that Stipe fight, the first Stipe fight, he learned, like, that's where his Achilles heel is, is yeah. gra- grappling. And that also, you can't take everybody out. Like, sometimes, like, not in that fight at least, Stipe just weathered the storm somehow or another. Yeah. And you have to have the gas tank and you have to have the grappling. To survive all those other exchanges, but you know? that was at his moment. Remember when he was just knocking everybody out, and he mm-hmm. had like two minutes of fight time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you fight a guy. Oh, dang! It's past the second round. Wait. Well, it's also like we talked about with Hamza when Hamza went after Kevin Holland. If you get out of that round, how much do you have left? Yeah. Well, he got out of the round. Stipe made it out of the round, and then Stipe started dominating. But that second fight, man, Francis's takedown defense, he looked Ooh, good. Patient Francis. That's what DC was saying. Patient Francis is scary Francis. <sighs> Yeah, that's why I'm mad. Yeah. I'm mad because I feel like we were deprived of one of the great fights in MMA, one of the most compelling fights in MMA. Does it mean I'm not interested in Cyril Gaon and John Jones? I'm very interested in that fight. I'm very, For all the things you listed. Yeah. Also, for Cyril Gaon's performance against Tai Tuivasa. It's like, God damn, Cyril Gaon. And Cyril Gaon does a lot of shit that's very unusual. Like, first of all, he stands totally sideways, and he does, like, a twisting kick with his front leg to throw a front kick. You know how he yeah, does that? Yeah, Very yeah. weird. Yeah. Like, he stands totally sideways, and he, like, twists his leg in. He doesn't stick it up and stab it forward. He, like, twists it and go in. Yeah. You never did that? Well, Taekwondo. It's a twisting that, kick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's called a twisting kick. Okay. Yeah. So, no, that's him throwing sidekicks. Yeah, he threw a Crazy. spinning heel kick. He, he throws this kick off the front leg. If you go to Tai Tuivasa. Um, the one he was landing to that front, oh to the body. God, that was breaking. Tai is so tough, though, He's man. so tough. 
Ty is so tough. That was a crazy ass fight, and that was a perfect fight to like showcase what Cyril Gaunt's capable of because his his movement, the fluidity of his combinations, and I mean, the guy moves like a middleweight. Yeah. He's two hundred forty plus pounds. This was a great ass fight. So he stands sideways and he throws this front kick when he gets distance. He throws this front kick off the sideways stance and he turns his body. Oh, there's that kick to the body, oh. those, those round kicks. Oh, this is the finishing secret. Oh. Yeah. Very, very interesting, man, watching the two. There, there it is. Oh, See yeah. it? Yeah. See how he throws it? And he throws it off of both sides with the front leg. He's the most agile and the, the like probably the most technical of all the heavyweight strikers. Cyril's very well rounded when it comes to his striking. He's so smooth. Yeah. Oh, so f- and he's like intelligent. Like mm-hmm. he understands the distance. All right, yeah. now this is a knee distance. This is not kick distance. Very interesting fight. So for John, it's going to be can John take him down? Can John, like, how does John perform at heavyweight? Can John close the distance? Is he as fast? What is the three years off like? Is he hungrier and even better because he's fired up? And he, you know, like y'all must have forgot he's got that mindset. He usually does too, yeah. right? Remember, he was always that guy that would want to beat you at your own game. Oh, you're yeah. a wrestler, I'll wrestle you. You're a striker, I'll strike with you. Yeah. So well, if he comes out there thinking, Zero Gun, you're a smooth striker, I'll, I'll smooth you. I don't know. It's also a first fight at heavyweight. We really don't know how he's going to respond when he gets hit by a big heavyweight. <sighs> We don't know anything. Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, years, and it's also John is older now, you know. Just that time partying, off, honestly. A lot of partying. Yeah, John parties. You know, I don't know what he's been doing. Maybe he's been living clean over the last few years. I don't yeah. know. I know but, I saw him with uh, Cejudo now, and yeah, maybe that ch- that Cejudo mindset will help him too. So I like that. I like Cejudo's mindset, and I like that fight ready camp. I, I think what Henry brings to the table is very unique. His mindset is really incredible. And, you know, I talked to Mighty Mouse about it. I had Mighty Mouse on. And uh, Demetrius was saying that, like, he's so meticulous in his training and how he prepares and plans for things. Yeah. Like, his, everything is, like, very, very focused. I was thought, uh, Dan Ige, he was telling me how he went down there and he was, he's like, I never talked to anybody with kind of like the war mindset as him. It's like, he mm. sees it as like a chess match. He breaks yeah. it down in that type of. Uh, way it's not mm-hmm. like oh let's go out there see red whatever happens happens he's like yeah. no he does this this and this even with the I said I had uh, breakfast with him once before the Sean Brady fight and he was like let's watch a little tape on him let's let me look up what he what he does and just like watching one tape of Sean Brady he's like oh well he stands like this I think you should do this this low kick will be perfect right here but uh, just seeing how he breaks down how he talks to people it just tells me that being a coach and being at his gym he'll get deeper and deeper and deeper into those little aspects of the fight that a lot of people don't really care about or look at a lot of, I know a lot of fighters that they'll never even watch tape of somebody they're going to fight. They'll never, they're just going there with the mindset of if I'm in shape and I'm on my bus, I'm going to win. Yeah. I think he's one of the great coaches out there. I think for us, a probably, I mean, he's one of my all time favorites. if not my favorite, but I think there's just a few guys like that, like Henry Cejudo, you know, that are just like, they're next level coaches. They yeah. just have this mindset. And just, that's the most important thing I feel like it's not all about toughness and right. I've had coaches that are telling me like, oh well this guy never fought before why are you going to think that he's a good coach but you don't need to be a fighter or that some people are just better at understanding and breaking down fights in general right. than having to go in there and fight some people yeah, can teach like some people can fight some of the great coaches like think about guys like Teddy Atlas wasn't known as a great boxer 
amazing coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, like there's uh, Emmanuel Stewart wasn't known as a great boxer, but amazing coach, one of the greatest coaches ever. There's there's quite a few guys like that. Yeah, I mean Eric Nixick, my yeah. coach Mike Valley, yeah. never followed before. He's the same way, and mm-hmm. like I said, it's like. Some people are better at teaching. Some people are better yeah. at breaking down film and seeing other guys' weaknesses. Like I know what Nixick was telling me that he would, he used to be a football player and he would like, like bring that mindset, that game mm. plan mindset of what's their weakness. If I know these guys are good at the pass, well, we're gonna play right. pass defense. And then fighters don't think like that. For me, right. when I fought Damian Maya, my goal is to stand and strike with you. I'm not gonna grapple with Damian Maya. When I'm fighting right. Wonder Boy, I'm not gonna strike with Wonder Boy. I'm gonna take him down. Right. When I'm fighting these guys a certain way i'm switching it up each time is john in phoenix now is he training down there he was uh i know he was down there he said he was down there for visiting because he was with jackson winkle john they had a falling out so he left and then i think he was doing stuff out of his garage but then now he was down with crazy cejudo training down there with them now too i think i'm not sure if he's doing his full camp there but i know he was doing some stuff there one thing he's done right is put that weight on slowly yeah, that's the one thing he's done right because he's got accustomed to being 255 pounds and walking around real big and heavy, and he looks real big and heavy. He looks like a heavyweight. He doesn't look like a light heavyweight that gained weight. Yeah, he looks like a fucking heavyweight. And I'm wondering who he's sparring with mm. because you know there's this being in the gym and being who you are, John Jones. You know, there's people like want to see how he is, and a million people yeah. are trying to get an inside scoop of oh, how does he look? How does he look? Mm-hmm. And we really haven't heard anything like that. Yeah, from. Uh, any of the little uh, birds on somebody's shoulder or something like yeah. that. So I'm wondering if he's actually sparring with anybody, training with anybody, or if he just has that much loyal teammates that are not going to say a word about it until he wants to. I don't know. It's a good question because if he's going to fight a guy like Cyril Gaon, he really wants to get some movement, some some really top-flight kickboxers. So, like, who does he have that he can work with like that? You know, you really yeah. want – Cyril is so good at mixing up the kicks and the knees and the punches and the combinations and he's so and he's so light like the way he stands on the outside like if you're gonna compete against a guy like that you got to get some similar looks and how many similar looks are there out there for a guy that's 245 pounds (laughs) that can move like that moves like Cyril yeah there's not a lot yeah interesting fight but here's the problem let's say John beats Cyril gone okay and then John fights Stipe, and John beats Stipe. Then what? People are sleeping on Curtis Blades. I think he's one of the toughest guys there. My immediate goal is to beat Cyril Gaon and to beat Stipe Miocic, John Jones said. After that, I'll be in conversations with the UFC. Go to the UFC heavyweight um, rankings because I'll show you what I'm fucking interested in. What I'm interested in at UFC heavyweight, click on that shit. Pavlovich. Oh, Pavlovich. Oh, my God. That's the boy. Yeah. Sergey Pavlovich, that motherfucker, that's the Russian Fedor. I mean, the, the Russian Francis, rather. He, like, comes out guns blazing on people, just like Francis used to. That motherfucker can bomb. He's a monster. And he's, he's so fast, too, with yeah. it. He's so Very accurate. Very good. Very good. Does it have any fights of his? Uh, not on that website. Oh, okay. I mean, not the way I have it set up. Um, the way he see, beat Black Beast and... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tied to Ivasa yeah, so quick. I was I know. like, the Tied to Ivasa fight was incredible. I mean, we think about Cyril Gaon going through that war with him, and Sergey just put it on him. He's his boxing is fucking tight, very tight, man. Real power punches, excellent technique. Big guy too. Yeah, big heavy fuck. I think Cormier was talking about he used to train with him, and he was like, yeah, he'd be in the practice room with us 
uh, all the time and stuff like that. So coming yeah. up with Here Kane and him, man. I mean, this fucking dude's scary. I mean, th- to beat Derek Lewis like that, to have Derek completely on his I mean, look at the combinations he's landing. Mark Smith is, oh, this is a Dan Mergliata seen enough. Look at that. That fucking dude can crack. He can he's crack. Fast. He's interesting. So I want to see him fight more. Obviously, he beat Tui. Go to the tie Tui Vasa fight. He beat Tui Vasa. I mean, the fucking combinations this guy has. Look at this. Boom. Oh, that was jab. so smooth. And 30 Ty, seconds and in there. And Ty gets up and just guns blazing. So accurate. Oh, oh, my goodness. Dude. So he's, to me, out of, with Francis leaving, he's one of the most interesting guys at heavyweight, if not the most interesting guy at heavyweight. Yeah. I'm very interested to see him fight a guy like John Jones. That, that's crazy to me. So if John gets a few fights at heavyweight, if he gets Cyril gone, if he beats him, that's an if. And then if he beats Steve Miocic, that's another if. And then he fights Sergey. And maybe Sergey gets someone along the way to build him up even further. But there's still think people don't know about him. Curtis Blades called him out, and Curtis Blades like, called Sergey out. Yeah, he's like, yeah, well, I'm, I know everybody saw that they were trying to get my reaction to this fight. Sergey's getting it back to back. Whatever, all right, it's cool. Give me uh, Sergey next, Ooh, and I'll show you guys my great worth. Great for the undercard. Yeah. So you have John Jones, Cyril gone, and then Curtis Blades and Sergey <sighs> on the undercard. Whoa. Woo! Big fellas. That's yeah. That's Big a, fellas throwing hammers. That yeah. would be good. I like that. And then also, Curtis Blades will really test him in the wrestling department. Curtis is an excellent wrestler. That's yeah. a really good fight to see what Sergey can do against an elite wrestler and a guy with real experience. Like you know, Curtis has been in there with a lot of top-notch guys. Yeah. So he's got like world-class experience, really good wrestling skills. Tough, tough dude. He's been so close every mm-hmm. single time. But yeah. you get to that level, it's all it takes is one punch. He only lost like Francis, then that Black Beast uppercut. Yeah, but other that than that, he's been one of the most crazy. dominant heavyweights out there. That Black Beast uppercut was crazy. It's <laughs> Derek can just put the lights. Have out. you seen him looking at like one seventy? I know, isn't it crazy? I was like, is he running or is that just like yeah. a bad picture? I was like, I don't know. You really can't light. tell. You can't tell. But it looks like he's taking it real seriously and decided to get in real good shape. Are you gonna stay up for his fight? Fuck yeah. <laughs> it's fights at 1 a.m. I know. You're going to stay up for I that stay one? up that late like, anyway, man. I was like, that's I'm crazy. always up late. That didn't make no sense. I was like, what? How the heck is it so late? Uh, where is it taking place? What is this? Oh, he's getting his manicure and pedicure done. <laughs> I love Derek. It was supposed to be in, uh, I think, Korea, and then Korean Zombie was supposed to be on the card, but uh, I think he got injured, so then they moved it back to America, but they already had the time slot done. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. That's what How I heard. weird. Yeah, so they had to keep it there, because I think they had so many of those fighters from Asia on the card. Apex. So it's at the Apex, and it starts at 12 a.m. Central Time. Whoa. So that means it's going to start at, what is that, in uh, California time? 10. 10? 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Main card? Main card with... Oh, five fights. So what do we got here? Prelims start at 9 p.m. Central Time, so 7 oh, p.m. Oh, Duho Choi. That's Duho Choi uh, is is coming back. That was a, He was a wild oh, dude. Oh, he was a beast, yeah. He took a, wa- a lot of time off. He hasn't fought for a few years. What else is on the card? Scroll. Prelims, sorry. Let me see what, what you got here. Let me see here. Okay. Interesting. So, there, so Begloy is on that fight, too, against Marcin Tibor. That's a good fight. And Duho Choi against Kyle Nelson. 
Crazy how late that is, though. I might I might just record that one. <laughs> this is a beautiful thing about ESPN Plus and streaming. You just get it anytime you want it. It's always available. Being in Dubai when they had like a couple fights on, and yeah. it was like the time change was so much, and I would like not want to watch it until the next morning. I was like, all right, I'll do the cardio in the morning and watch it on my phone. And then my coach, hey, did you see uh, Sanhagen and uh, uh, Song Yudong, his cut? Yeah. And I was like, bro, I did not want to know the results. So like, dude, I would save it the whole time. Right when I get out of China, he tells who's, me, did you see the cut? Who's Sanhagen fighting next? Cheeto. Oh, that's right. Woo! <sighs> February 18th. That's at the Apex, too. Man. I, uh, I think that I'm one makes me want to take a flight. Yeah, that, that one makes me want to take a flight. I might want to take right. a flight. Fuck. What's on the undercard of that fight? Aaron Blanchfield. Oh, Ooh, that's another one. Against Talia Santos. Talia Santos is no joke. Aaron Blanchfield is the fucking truth. When I was uh, with Dave Portnoy, uh, Dave Portnoy was telling me he bet all this money on Molly. Oh. When she, when she fought Aaron. I was like, Oh, you were with like, it before the fight? Yeah, you said I was that? like, dude, that's, yeah. that, I mean, Molly's tough. Molly's very tough. Meatball can throw bombs, but Aaron Blanchfield's the truth. She's a, she's a monster. She's going to be she's a champ. She's one of those that's going to challenge Shevchenko yeah. for it. Super technical. And she's catching Shevchenko at the end of her reign. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, not to say that Shevchenko's slipping. She's definitely not. But this, it's a good time for her to be coming up because there's really no one else when you look at that division, there's very good fighters, very yeah. good fighters, but there's no like compelling, really interesting storyline other than Aaron. Yeah, because she's so young. Yeah, she's 23. Just, I think they just gave her uh, Alexa Grasso, mm. Shevchenko against Grasso, but like you mm. said, it's not like it's I'm not, not looking compelling. at it like, oh man. But if I see Blanchfield in there, like yeah. I, even right now, like if it hits the ground, I'm interested. Shevchenko so good. She's yeah. so good. When she knocked out Jessica I with that head kick, I was <sighs> like, God damn. Yeah. Very few women d can fight like that. Very few women could just flatline you with one shot like that. Yeah, I would see her in um, Moreno training at the Apex. I mean, uh, training at the PI, and I'm like, man, I just want to see how their sparring goes. Because mm. it'd, it'd be fun. Like, she's one of those girls yeah. that I feel like could keep up with some guys yeah. in, in the sparring department with gloves and shin pads on. But, yeah, I was just always, uh, like, interested in it. Cause, like you said, she's smooth everywhere. And yeah. now her wrestling and grappling getting to that level, too, where I feel like... She's trying to show a different side of herself. You better in not break into that lady's house. She's got <laughs> she's... fucking five guns strapped to her while she's sleeping. <laughs> See her shoot guns, man? I talked to some guys that went to a range with her. They go, dude, she's like a world-class markswoman. Like that? Yeah, like world-class. Like oh, wow. really good. Like beep. Those, you know, like those things. Yeah, they when it goes and you start going. That's her. She's doing like somersaults yeah. shooting. She could do all that shit. Well, obviously she's so athletic. Yeah. You know? But it's like her accuracy and her marksmanship is like really world-class they were saying like oh dude people were so impressed like, she could crazy. fucking shoot yeah which is that's the wrong house to break into <laughs> son <laughs> i was uh one of my buddies he's like uh he teaches people to to get their guns uh to get their gun permits in chicago where they carry it on them they're carrying conceal and he's like some dude try to break into my garage and i like gave him the Yo, stop where you're going. And he turned around super quick, so I had to shoot him. I was like, you broke into the wrong house. Like, I was like, he's like, dude, I'm at the freaking gun range every single day. And this guy, like, tried to rob me. Like, what a moron. Yeah. I felt so bad. He's like, I felt bad for the guy. So, but I still shot him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people out there doing stupid shit right now. Yeah, especially yeah. Chicago. I know. Chicago is so filled with violence. Do you ever think about getting out of there? Honestly, I, I do, especially when it was during those riot times mm -hmm. and just the marriage just sucks like she doesn't do anything 
to the mayor's terrible she's the worst and she's such a goof and she was like outlawing protests on her block literally and i, yeah. I you know i train with cops and i, I roll with cops so my, one of my cousins he has like a, a cell phone store and he's telling me that like he put his shutters down and he's like oh there's people outside my store trying to break in with the shutters and so just come and help me so then i'm like all right so i'm trying to call my boys that are cops and i'm like hey uh, they're trying to break into this guy's store. Could you guys help him? And they're like, no, they're telling us to stay inside. They're telling us not to do anything. They're telling the police not to do anything. I'm like, bro, what? Yeah. He's like, so they're telling us to stay in the in the freaking thing. I was like, that was crazy. So we literally pulled up and like, obviously my guy has like a gun inside the store. So he's like shooting upward outside of the store. So people like run away and like people end up running away. So then we pull up and then people are like across the street yelling like, you guys got insurance. You guys want to try to kill us over it. And you guys know you got insurance. That's and, so crazy. And I'm sitting there like, Don't I wanna, shoot at me while I'm robbing you. I want to like just, like people are just so <laughs> airheaded. So like we literally like, put, they put everything into trucks and it took everything out of a store and people saw us taking everything away and they still broke in and just smashed everything for no reason at all. And oh, it's like. So many knuckleheads. So many. Yeah. And it's like. Where would you go if you didn't live in Chicago? Honestly, I was like. On the eyes of moving to Vegas. Yeah? Yeah. Vegas obviously, I want to train at a good gym. And, and the USCPI's there. Yeah. Access to all those resources. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm really close to like Nick Six. So I, I like him, but it's just hard because I'm a big family man. So like we're going to my mom's house every Sunday for dinner. I like mm -hmm. going back there. My whole family's there. So it's a lot easier. And then like my teammates in Chicago, they've been up with me since the beginning. Like yeah. 10 years I've been with those same guys. That I'm still training with now. Even if I go train at other gyms or train with other teams, I'm still with the same core of guys. So like I wouldn't want to like leave them before I get to. You got the a goal. whole system in place now in Chicago. Too. Yeah, like we have, yeah. and I know what and I'm it's working. doing. Yeah, and yeah. that's the the thing. I have so many people. Like, you need to come here. You need to come here. We have this many UFC guys. This, this, and this. And I'm like, we're doing it right. Like Brian Callen told me he had a great time with you. Oh, he's the man. He's yeah. he's so cool. And I was like. Freaking! So we he went, went to your house, ate with your family, the whole deal. <laughs> he was eating with my dad, and oh, we're, wow. we're eating at we're eating breakfast. And then uh, we brought you up, and then my dad's like, oh, "I don't like Joe Rogan." And I was like, "What are you? Do this is Brian Keller. This is a boy." <laughs> and then Brian's like, "Oh, why not?" He's like, "Yeah, you know, he he, he never interviews my son after the fights." And I was like, "Oh my oh, god, that's not my that's decision. what I said." I was like, "Oh my god, stop it!" And I was just like, "I'm a maybe your dad will like me now." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally, he's probably going to tell his friends. Me, like, when the, the fights go long, if a fight goes to a distance or it goes to a decision, there you guys are. If a fight goes to a decision, like, I don't have the say as to whether or not a fighter gets interviewed. That's the truck. Yeah, yeah. It's generally, they run out of time. It's a time constraint. Because, like, they make a concession. Like, say if there's uh, five fights on an undercard and the undercard has to take place within X amount of minutes, you know, because it's on ESPN+. Plus. Like, if fights go the distance and they look at the time, they don't like the first fight went the distance, second fight goes the distance, they go, no interview. They'll just say it in my, inter in my yeah. ear. Yeah. I go, okay. Yeah, and I tell them, I like, you yeah. know, you know, dads are always the ones looking out for you. Like, yeah. oh, how can they give this guy an interview and now you an interview? It's, uh, it's no. Joe. And I was like, bro, like, <laughs> chill out. Like, relax. No, no, but no. Brian, yeah, Brian was hilarious. He was yeah, he was super cool. And he had some hands. He was firing with my boy. Uh, he boxes. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he boxes was good. A bit. I was like, all right, you got some, <laughs> you got some left in. You need to do one of them Jake Paul fights. Oh, no. Don't get <laughs> Brian knocked out, please. Please don't Not do Jake that. Paul. Just like a random TikToker. No, no, no. You can mess with him. You don't want Brian getting punched in the face. He's already got problems with his head. You, you don't want him getting his dome rattled. He's 150 years old. Look at him here. 
throwing punches. Little. <laughs> <laughs> He's slow as shit. <laughs> don't let him. Don't let him do that to anybody. Stay away, Brian. <laughs> it's it cool, just like the experience. Like we go to the. It's called the Swallow Cliff Stairs, and he ran it up there oh, with me. Nice. Yeah, that. One of the things we do, like every week down there at Chicago, hard stair running, hard, mm. hard pushing up there, and we usually go to the top and we're sparring up there, and like people are just randomly like looking, what the heck's going on? What are you guys doing? So, what, what do you do in terms of recovery? Do you have like a system? Do you get massages? Do you do ice bath? Do you do cold plunge and sauna? Like, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I got a um, a sauna at my house, like one of those uh, light saunas. And, like uh, an infrared one? Infrared, yeah. yeah. So I got an infrared sauna. I got all the, the boots, all those other extra things. I get a massage when I'm in camp once a week. When I'm not in camp, probably like once every other week or something like that. Or when I'm feeling it mm -hmm. sore. But now it's being very careful and being smart with the way I'm treating my body. It's like if one of the biggest things I learned from the, the, the guys uh, from Habib's team is like, They'll come in before practice and he'll be like he'll ask you like today's your hard sparring how do you feel mentally are you okay did you get any fight with anybody in your family are you stressed out like if you have any of those issues with your head you're not training really yeah interesting yeah so he's like Cause, interesting because it's hard sparring because basically you're in a fight yeah you're gonna be in a fight and if you're not fully engaged and you're not fully ready for it you're really not gonna gain anything and you're gonna hurt yourself oh. and that's where injuries come from and little things so when he brought that up I'm like huh like I figured you guys would be like Tough it out, tough it out, man up. Don't like my mentality was when I got there, and I'm like, don't be soft. Yeah. But they're very smart with it. And that just shows you how smart they really are. That yeah. even though they're beyond tough, yeah. they know there's there's a certain little area that you really need to address. Yeah. And it was it was cool. Cause like mm. like I said, I'm like one of those guys where probably every single camp I'm overtraining. And like I don't feel like I'm ready unless I'm overtrained. Really? So yeah, because you know, you I'll work out twice and then I'll be like three hours of doing nothing. I was like, man, I should do something. I need to be doing something right now. Let me go for a jog. Do you use like a heart rate monitor or anything to see what your resting whoop. heart rate, you do whoops? Yeah, yeah. When I'm at a camp, yeah. I, do, I do whoops. So can you tell from that whether or not you're overtraining? And do you it, back off when you are? It'll tell, you know, you'll, you'll get those days where it'll be like you're redlined or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm still going to train, but not train as crazy hard. Right. But for the most part, when I'm even feeling tired, it'll be like, your 90% recovery, uh, and I'm like, I feel like trash, but then mentally I'll be like, oh, well, the whoops is I'm okay. So <laughs> I think that, yeah, maybe maybe I am okay. Maybe I'm just being soft mentally mm. when my body feels terrible, but it's like the whoops tell me I'm okay, so I'm, I'm just trusting it. So that's all you use to make sure that you're not overtrained? You just, yeah. And you monitor like what it says about your heart rate and resting heart rate and all that jazz? Yeah, yeah. I'm waking up and I'm seeing what it says, and it's... Like when I started really believing it was when I caught COVID and like I woke up and it was like the the day before I was supposed to come to a fight and I was fighting Lyman Good, I mean Diego Lima and then uh, we were supposed to leave the next day and I woke up and it said zero on my recovery. Zero. Yeah, it said zero and I was like, what the fudge? And then all of a sudden like that night, like I was like literally just like shivering in bed. I woke up in the middle of the night shivering and I was uh... like, what the heck's going on? And I was like freezing and I was like, no, no, I'm, I got to fight this week. So I put like my jacket on, went to bed and I'm like still shivering with my jacket on and I was like what the heck's going on so then I look at my whoop and it says that and I was like so I call like my buddy who's a doctor and I'm like dude what do I do for shivering and he's like, <laughs> he's, like he's like he's like bro uh I think you should go get tested it was like yeah. early on when COVID first hit and I was like no nah, I don't got COVID dude I'm fighting this week and he's like 
I don't know. I think you, you, those are symptoms for COVID. And I was like, like I hung up on it. I was like, forget you. Uh, but like the whole night, like I was up the whole night and I was like, I hit up Ali and I was like, are they going to test me when I come down to the, when I get there tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, what if it says I'm positive? And he's like, then you're going to have to drive home or you're going to have to fly back. Uh, well, they're not going to let you fly back home. You have to drive back home or you wait the two weeks in Vegas. And then I was like, but they're for sure going to test me. And he's like, yeah. So then I was like, all right. So you're going to fight even if you were sick with COVID? Yeah. Cause I, like you go through a whole camp and. Were you still training when you were that sick? It, well, that was just like the first day it hit. So I was like shivering that day. And then the next day I was supposed to leave. So I woke up in the, the next day, my flights in like a couple hours. And I'm like, why the heck am I freezing or whatever? And then like, I'm calling them everything that time. And I'm like, I don't want to fly to Vegas. And then them send me back. But I, yeah. for me, I'm like, if it's a cold, I'll get over it in a day. I'll get right. over it in a couple of days. And then fight Saturday. So I still have three or four days to get over it. Right, like, right. I don't How many it, days did it take you to get over COVID? Um, it was probably like two days of just like chills and shivering and then just like body soreness. But like by like day three, I was feeling okay. But like I was like in the best shape ever. Um, like you're in right. your you camp, you're, you're healthy. Yeah. And did then, you work out at all while you had COVID? It was like a, a depressing moment because my fight just got canceled because of it. Yeah. So then I was like, fuck this. I'm just like eating trash and laying there. Yeah. And then probably about like day four, then I was like, all right, I need to get up and reschedule this fight and then do something. So like by day four, I was back to training regularly again. There's a lot of guys who tried to work through COVID, work out through COVID while they had it and they got fucked up. That's Hamzat. Yeah. Hamzat got fucked up because he's too tough. Too tough for his own good. And while he was sick as a dog, that motherfucker was still going to the gym and, and doing rounds in the bag and working out like a beast. And then he was throwing up blood. Yeah, I was hearing about that. Yeah. I was hearing that. Like, yeah, he's throwing up blood. I was like, what? Yeah, he was coughing up. Like, his whole toilet bowl was filled with blood. And the question with that is, like, what has that done to his lungs? Like, does he have scarring on his lungs? Is, are his lungs at full capacity? Because he was hospitalized more than once yeah. with COVID. Like, it was a big deal because he's such a knucklehead in that regard. Like, he's so tough that he worked himself to the bone while he was sick with COVID and then got hospitalized, I think, twice. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then the Cody Garbrandt did the same thing. Cody Garbrandt had COVID, kept working out, kept training, never got himself tested. Didn't find out he had COVID the, the whole time until he went to Mike Tyson's. Mike Tyson had him on a podcast, and they, it was during the pandemic, so they tested him. They go, hey, man, you got COVID. And he's like, oh, that's what's been going on. He had, he had had COVID for fucking weeks. Oh, wow, really? Working out. work, Still working out. Just too tough. Too yeah. tough for his own good. So for a long time, never got over COVID because he kept training. That's crazy. Crazy. But, I mean, for me, like I said, it, who knows if it wasn't my fight week, if I would have just still continued on, or if I ever got even tested. Right. Like, I would have figured it was like a regular normal cold, Well, got over the chills. When um, uh, DC was training for Stipe, he got COVID in camp. Yeah. And still fought and won. I mean, he wor worked through it. Just yeah. worked through COVID. You just got to adjust. Yeah, he adjusted, and he just, you know, Stipe, I mean, uh, DC, rather, is very smart, so he didn't train too hard. Yeah. He just knew what his body was telling him and then got over it and kept training. So he had, like, a few slow days where it wasn't that, wasn't pushing it very hard. But apparently Hamza is just, fuck, I kill everybody. <laughs> I kill everybody. So he's just getting in the gym, <laughs> coughing up a storm while he's sick as fuck. You know, that's... It was real bad for a lot of people that didn't take time off, you know, yeah. didn't didn't take breaks. Because if you think you're too you're you're tough, 
The problem with being tough is you are breaking down your immune system every time you work out hard. So if you're sick already, so immune system's compromised, and then you're breaking your body down because you're tough because you're working out, now the COVID's really getting into your body. I mean, that can happen with the flu. That can happen with everything. Yeah, and that was the hard part, too, is because, you know, you're at a gym and you're wondering if you have a fight, you're like, hey, make sure you don't come to the gym if you have COVID. Make sure if you have any type yeah. of symptoms and you didn't know to trust anybody. And, like, you catch COVID and it's mm-hmm. like fight week, and I'm like, Look at who to blame. I'm like, how did I did this? Somebody, how did I get COVID? I didn't do nothing else. I didn't go nowhere. <laughs> I just went to the gym and back home. Sometimes people have and they don't even know they have it. Yeah. Like my real estate lady, she had it and she didn't find out until she was going to a, a wedding. So she had to get tested because oh. she was going like the Bahamas or some shit. And they tested her. And she's like, I have COVID? And they go, you got COVID. She's like, I'm like, I don't believe this. Let me get tested again. So she got tested again. Turns out she has COVID. Wow. And never felt anything. Never yeah. felt any symptoms at all. Nothing. That was the, the being in Chicago. Everybody would catch it at weddings. Like mm-hmm. being a Middle Eastern, they have weddings every mm-hmm. single Sunday. And then my mom would still <laughs> want to go to weddings. I'm like, you're not going to weddings. It's like, we have to go to this person's wedding. And I was like, that's where people are going to catch it. Because like yep. 90% of people don't even know they have it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the next week, oh, 16 people from that wedding got it. Or 10 people from this wedding caught it. And I was like. Yeah, because you could kind of have it and just kind of feel just a little down. Yeah. And not think it's that big a deal. And then you're giving it to everybody. Or there's people that had the antibodies and they didn't even realize, like, wait, I had it before? And right. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, weird times, man. But thank God the UFC kept those fights going on at the apex, put together that whole COVID bubble, tested the shit out of everybody, made sure that everybody was clear before they got in the building. Yeah. It was beautiful, man. And it, I felt so privileged to be there during that time. Like, I remember thinking when I was there for the Tony Ferguson-Justin uh, Gaethje fight, which was in Florida, in an empty arena during COVID. <laughs> Empty arena. It was crazy. But I remember thinking to myself, man, I feel so fortunate that I get to be here because everything was shut down. The whole country was shut down. But yet here we are watching this fight live with no audience, and it's a fucking amazing fight, and there's only like 10 people here watching it. Does that change the way like you commentate it too? Because obviously the energy is different. I don't know, man. I don't think so. I think I think we did it the same way. But I tell you what, though, I really do love fights at the Apex Center. Like when we were talking about Cheeto and uh, Sanhagen, I'm really thinking about flying in for that just because I love seeing fights at that Apex Center, man. Yeah, I, I was know the, people the that ring's not as good. I don't. I think I wish they had the same full size octagon there. Yeah, I would. I think they should scrap that little bitch ass octagon and put a full size <laughs> octagon there because. I think it should be uniform. I think the sport deserves a uniform size octagon, but man, being there live is is exceptional. When that's that little arena and there's very few people there, you just feel special. It feels like real, like real privilege to be able to be there for that. Yeah, if you're in the audience, I oh, tell like the best. My family was there. They're like, dude, I never watched a fight. I never want to watch a fight not like this. Right, right. It's right. like sitting courtside for like an NBA game or something because you hear guys breathing. Every you hear every little thing. Everything. You hear the corner and everything. Yep. It changes everything too. And then you hear commentators too. Like when mm-hmm. you're in the cage, it's weird for you because you're like you're here in DC and uh, yeah. Disney talk, and I was like. I wanted something to do. Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. It's like that because you're in there and it's, it changes the way you fight too. Yeah. It's a different type of energy. Yeah, sure. I mean, some guys hate it. They want that crowd like uh, Sugar Sean. Like he wants that crowd. He wants to hear that yeah. roar. You know, some guys, they like it. Some guys, he like takes the pressure off of them. Yeah. And they're in that little place. There's no one there. It feels better. It feels easier, lighter. Yeah. That's, I had a, a teammate do have his debut there last week and I told him it's going to be better for you because – 
there's not a lot of people there. You're not going to feel like it's the same energy. You got to just mm. have that mindset like it's in the gym. Yeah. Because if you just change the the way you think about it, it changes everything. I'm not, oh, man, this is my debut. I, this is the biggest stage, the biggest uh, company, the one I always wanted for, the dream. But you're fighting with 50 people in the crowd. So yeah. it feels like it's that normal bar that you're used to fighting in freaking Bufu, Indiana. Yeah. How hard was the first debut for you, the first fight in the UFC? How much different was it than anything else? For me, it was it was different because I took it on short notice too, and uh, it was during Ramadan. So, oh yeah. So then they called me for that one, but like I was nine and zero outside of the UFC, and I was I just won uh, the Titan FC belt, and I was still waiting for my shot. I was like, dude, they're not giving me a shot. They're not giving me a shot. And like I said, I've my coach seeing his footsteps and seeing him. He never got a shot in the UFC, but he was killing everybody. He was like on a ten fight finish streak of guys in the first round. And like they never call him, and I was like, bro, if he's finishing people like this and he never get a call, like what makes me think I'm gonna get a call? Then they called me during Robin on short notice. So it was like a couple of weeks, and it was Alan Joe Band, and I was like, we have to take it. So we took it, and um, it was International Fight Week too. So. That just changed everything too, because it's like a lot more pressure. How do you train during Ramadan? How how do you, how did you organize it? Honestly, it's just basically I don't really change anything, but the the way I eat at night, because I'm cutting weight at night, so I have to make sure that since I'm cutting weight in a camp, I have to eat healthier. So, but you can't sure. drink water during the day. No, right? you're not drinking water or uh, no Are water you or food during the day. During the day, yeah. So I'll train in the morning at 10:30 a.m. No water. No water. So I'll train at 10:30, and then I'll have another practice at six. And then, and so at six, what you when what time you're allowed to eat when the sun goes down? I'm allowed down. to eat. Uh, usually th- during those times, it was during uh, the sun was going down at like seven thirty eight. So the moment the sun goes down, you that's can drink. when you can drink water, and yeah. that's when you can eat food. Yeah. yeah. So you're training w- with no water. Yeah, yeah. I'm not wow. training with no water or food. That's cr- do you get up early and eat? Yeah. So like our morning prayers, uh, usually at like four thirty a.m. So you have all the way up until that 4.30 a.m. to eat or drink. So I'll wake up probably 4 o'clock, 4 a.m. And then I'm treating it like I just uh, had a weight cut. So I'm drinking a Pedialyte. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking, getting my electrolytes in. I'm making sure that I'm having good carbs that I'm going to have so I'll be able to train. So I'm eating white rice, uh, eggs, good protein. So I just have to be very smart with what I'm eating and not just like junk. Right. A lot of people during Ramadan, they're gaining more weight because like – you're not eating all day, you're not drinking all day, then it's time to break your fast, so you'll eat a little bit of dinner. Your stomach's already shrunk, so you're not that hungry, but then you're eating sweets, sweets, sweets. Mm. And that's the biggest thing for us is, like, your mom's making all these sweets during Ramadan. You want to try this, this, and this. So for me, it's just being way more disciplined during it. And That's got to be hard to not drink water while you're training. Yeah, I think it probably after day four, my body, like, gets used to it. It just toughens up, and I tell people, like, you never know how strong your body really is. Until you push it, and I think it just like evolves and it learns to to keep doing it. So, so then, so your second training session of the day, why don't you schedule that after it's dark out? I I started doing that this camp because when I fought Luke, it was during Ramadan. So mm-hmm. my coach is like, hey, we're gonna adjust everything to that. So my second training camp was always at 9 p.m. at night, but for the Alan Joe Van fight, it was still like. I don't care. I was wasn't even like I said. I wasn't thinking about the science of it or anything like that. I right. was like, let's tough it out. So I was still training twice a day. And then, um, so with with the Luke fight, did you eat dinner first and then go to train? Yeah, I would eat dinner. Water? Yeah, I would eat dinner and then go train again at night. And mm. uh, and all the guys would still they would adjust their schedule. The the whole team would come at like nine thirty p.m. 
and mm. then they would come and train with me at that time. Well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Did you cool. uh, did you like nap during the day? Like, how did you take care of your days? Yeah, so you do your morning. I do my morning session, whatever it was, and then you know during Ramadan you try to be closer to God, so it's not like just starving yourself or uh, staying away from food and drink. It's like you want to get closer to God, so you're trying to read the Quran. You're trying to be more at the mosque whenever you can. There's a night prayer that we we do, and it's like a late night prayer that everybody goes to the mosque at the same time. It's called Tarawih. So, a lot of it is just doing as much as you can possible to be closer to God and be a better Muslim. So, during the day, getting your mind off the fight, where I'm not. I think it helps me a lot of time too, because mm. I'm not stressing about the fight, because I'm trying to do be the best type of Muslim I can be. So, read the Quran more. You want to try to read the whole Quran during the month uh, of Ramadan. And you want to just bring yourself closer to that, learn more about it, learn more about the religion, everything like that. So, If you had a title shot that took place during Ramadan, would you have any apprehension? Like if you had your qualms, if it was your choice, would you rather have a, a fight outside of Ramadan or would you be fine getting a title shot during Ramadan? No, I, would, I mean, I would definitely want outside of it. It's it, it does compromise you. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's like it's not easy. And it's I always tell myself like oh, I'm not gonna do never, not another fight during Ramadan again. Like they call us this thing, I'm gonna say no. But then when they call you with a main event fight, right, against a guy that beat you before, it's like I'm never gonna say yeah. Has Habib ever fought during Ramadan? No, no. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of them, they refuse to. Or they decide not to. Mm. And they, like they said, they just focus strictly on the the religion aspect of it. Mm. So. Like I said, for me, I've done it outside of the UFC a lot of the times, and I fought a couple of times outside of the UFC during Ramadan. So I had like a game plan of what I was doing and a way of just toughing it out through it. So I think it just helped me out in general. Mm. But um, yeah, back to the I mean the Joban fight, international fight week. I think it was Brock Lesnar fighting that week too. Uh, so it was just a lot of eyes, a lot of eyes. It's cool to see, and um. I was never one of those guys beforehand that would like watch tape or break down film or anything like that. It was just like, we're not in O. We're gonna we're gonna go in there. We're gonna beat him. So going there it was a tough fight. We ended up uh, losing a decision, but it was a fight of the night. So and it was like, like I said, I'm a terrible loser. So I put my head down. I'm like upset. Like I don't want to talk to nobody. And then my coach is telling me like, bro, like the crowd's going nuts. You had to feel the energy. Look at the crowd. Embrace, still embrace the moment, even though you lost. And like I had so many fighters come up to me that day, and it was like. It was crazy because it was like Max Holloway came up to, hey, respect, bro. Diego Sanchez, hey, you're a beast. You're a monster. And these are guys like I looked up to and like loved to watch fight. But like I didn't care at all just because I lost. So like, but thinking back to those, I wish I would have like been a better loser at, at that time. Because we won the $50,000 bonus too. And I was like, I don't care, man. And me and Joe Banner are like at the hospital. And he's like, we won the bonus. And I'm like just crying. Like, get away from me, dude. Yeah, it's <laughs> easy for him to say. He yeah. Got the w. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of timeline are you on right now? Like, does the UFC give you any indication of when they would schedule a fight for you? Or is a lot of it dependent upon the March 18th title fight? That was the thing. I was trying to get on the March 18th card with them, and I was trying to be on the same card with them. And whether it was— Is that still possible? uh, It just depends on who they give me. close, right? Yeah, it's like— for me, I'm still training no matter what. So it's like, today, like the 17th. Yeah, the 17th. So I think yeah. it would be like eight weeks or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so right. Yeah, it's the 18th. So you got, you got two months. Yeah. Yeah. So it would just be like you're hearing things of Hamza going up to 185. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out what's happening to them. And you're like, well, where's Kobe at? So I'm talking to my manager because, like I said, he manages me. He manages Gilbert. He manages right. Usman. So he's managing 
three of the top five guys up there. So I'm like, you have to have an idea of who they're going to give me. And he's like, we just have to wait. We have to wait and see who they're offering, who's ready at the time. And I'm like, well, give me Masvidal. Masvidal's on a three-fight loser. It doesn't make sense. And I'm like, but Still he has name. the biggest name. He has the biggest name. And yeah. he's a guy that's calling for the title fight and the champion saying his name. Yeah. So if the champion saying his name, it tells me that that's a name I have to beat to tell you that, no, you're not getting that fight. Because I can see Leon beating Usman if he beats him this time, saying, well, I defended my belt once. Now I get to call my shot, and I want right. to fight all because he three-pieced and so did me. And, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, it don't make sense, but UFC, money makes sense. It Money makes sense, yeah. and that is that is a big money fight, and there's a narrative there. I could see them making that fight. I could, you know. It's uh, it's such a talent-stacked division, man. That division yeah. is so filled with talent. But it's it's rough, too, for yourself mm-hmm. because when Leon Edwards was at the place I'm at right now where he was on a fight winning streak and the world was begging for him to get a title fight, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I've fought way better guys than Leon Edwards. I've, I have four top 10 wins. Leon Edwards has to be in one top 10 guy in the division besides Usman. And Kobe Covington has no top 10 wins in the division besides Masvidal, who's, who he beat on a three-fight losing streak. So, How hard was it for you to the Leon Edwards fight get stopped because of an eye poke and then they don't give it back to you? They don't run it back. And Leon is saying, I was winning that fight and we were moving on to the next. I was I was so bitter. I was salty. I was hot. Like, I wanted a snap so bad because like in the cage, oh, I'm so sorry, bro. And it's like, I didn't commit the foul. He committed the foul. Yeah. I didn't do nothing. I took the it's fight on short like notice. He was rewarded for a foul and then now he's the champ. Yeah. And it Crazy. I'm looking at it like it doesn't make any like make it make sense to me because I'm like I waited this long to get to this, this moment. I stepped up. Nobody stepped up to fight him. Fight up uh, Leon Edwards. It yeah. was short notice. Comes up, pulled out. They needed somebody, and I was like, all right, I'll do it. So that f- first round happens. I poke and the whole road. Oh well, you were losing anyway. And I'm like, bro, there's still four more rounds. I'm a guy that my cardio is my weapon. I love to to fight. I love to grind it out. And it was still Leon Edwards. He was out for two years before that, so you're still trying to figure out which Leon Edwards is going to come. So it's a reading out period in that first round. Right. And I tell people it's not a 10-8 round. It was a 10-9 round right. in that first round. So with you saying, oh, he killed you, I'm like, in the Joe Band fight, I got dropped three times in the first round, and the third round I almost finished him. So I'm not a guy that loses the first round and starts puts my head down, and I need my coach to give me a motivational speech like Leon Edwards. No, I— I'm going to stay motivated the whole time to the end, to the final bell rings. I don't need you to wake me up. Like, I'm not going to put my head down. You're in that position where they start to give you these young contenders, like they did with Sean Brady. Yeah. Like, that, they have these guys that are like these up-and-coming guys, and this is kind of a crossroads fight. If you could turn back this guy, you'll show you are at the top of the food chain right now. And you did. And there's a few of those other guys out there right now that are trying to build a name up, like Shavkat Rachmanov. Yeah, Another, th- those kind of guys where they're trying to like, th- and you could see them conceivably matching you up with someone like him. Yeah, and that's the thing. When I took the Sean Brady fight, it was like fighting downwards, and he had everything to gain because he was undefeated. He beats me. Well, dang, look where he is now. Sean Brady could be fighting for the title next. But for me, it was like, if I beat him, I'm moving sideways. I'm not like I didn't really gain much from it. It was. I think you did though. I think you opened up a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody was really looking. I mean, he had got the highest VO2 max they ever scored at the UFC Performance Institute. Yeah. It was like a big deal. Like he was one of those guys that people looked at him and go, "Man, this dude's elite." Yeah. You know, he won a grappling match against Craig Jones. Like he's elite. Everybody was looking at him like this guy might be a future champion. But you put it on him, man. Yeah, but then now it's, oh well. 
Sean Brady was getting threats that somebody was going to bury him in the desert if he beat Bilal Muhammad. What? Yeah, that's what he came out after the fight and said. What? It. Yeah, and I was like, what? Is that real? I'm like, people are trying to come up with excuses listen, for you, everything. Listen, you beat that dude's ass. Yeah. <laughs> Save all that shit. Not, he was trying to beat your ass, and you beat his ass. That's just how it is. I mean, if somebody really was threatening him, that's fucked up. <clears throat> a fan <laughs> threatened to kill him and bury him in the desert if he won a recent fight. Yeah, but, you know, I would say to him, stop reading social media. Yeah. Because that probably is a 13-year-old kid in his mom's fucking basement somewhere. Yeah. You know, who fucking knows who's saying that? You can get lost so, so deep on reading comments. To bury like... you. Have you buried anybody else? Do you know how to bury people? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <clears throat> oh, well, tell his wife to get off social media, too. <laughs> Don't You shouldn't be reading that shit. I know a guy who was uh, a heavyweight, and his wife started uh, reading comments. And they were, they were, uh, she had a public page, and she started reacting and responding. And so more people started doing it. And then she lost her fucking mind because, <gasps> like, she was just constantly getting. So she's, like, every day checking her. Uh, uh, and people are, like, fucking with her on her phone. Like, hey, that's not real life. Put that down. Go outside. Chirp, 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 chirp. See the birds chirping and fucking yeah. it's, see the grass is green. That's not real life. Don't be engaging with these fucking people. You don't even know who they are. They're calling you fat and ugly and saying all kinds of mean things about you. Like, go outside. This is the, Stay off your goddamn phone. Don't be reading comments. That shit's mental illness. Yeah, my mom would like, when oh, I first- Go to that article. Let me see that article. When I first got into the UFC, <clears throat> my mom would uh, read comments and say, hey, how come you didn't respond to this guy? And I was like, are you reading my comments? So they sent it to his wife, right? It said someone messaged her and said if I won the fight against Bilal Muhammad, they would kill me and bury me in the desert. First of all, if someone really was going to kill you and bury you in the desert, they don't tell you. <laughs> okay? Brady fought Muhammad on October 22nd, suffering a knockout defeat. It's interesting. He should probably keep that to himself. <clears throat> These fans, they're scumbags, Brady says. <laughs> hey, Sean, these are idiots. They're not the fans. There's so many people. The problem is human beings are used to interacting <coughs> with other human beings in a one-on-one -on -one setting. When you're dealing with people online, you're literally opening yourself. Like, how many how many followers does Sean Brady have on his Instagram? Uh, to be fair, <coughs> he said it during an interview. I don't know that he just came out and said, like, well, by the way. No, he didn't interview it. So well, Ariel Hawani likes to yeah. get people to oh. say things. So if you are looking at Sean Brady's uh, Instagram, what does he have? Let's guess. I'm going to guess he has 190,000 followers. Let's guess. 96,000? Okay. So he has almost 100,000 followers. How many of those people are douchebags? Yeah. 100? Let's be real conservative. You have 100 idiots that are threatening you and sending you pictures of their dick and, like, don't read that stuff, man. Yeah. People got to stop reading that stuff. I know so many people that like start reading comments and arguing back and <sighs> forth. I know rappers that do it, comedians that do it. Like, stop doing that, man. Kevin Durant had like a fake whole profile, was like arguing with people back and forth. And I was like, what are you really? Yeah. Kevin he had a Durant. fake profile? Yeah. And I was like, is this guy serious? <laughs> like, you're an NBA star at the top of the thing. Oh, my God. It's ego. Like, it's just ego. It's so bad for you, too. It's bad for your psyche. And you could get lost in it so easy. Yeah. Like, I have like a, a don't list that, I'm, that I make when I have, when it's fight week. And I feel like, don't answer the phone from somebody who doesn't uh, who haven't called you in the yeah. last month. Don't don't well, that's good too. read yeah. comments. Don't yeah. uh, respond to texts. Don't uh, <clears throat> like don't overthink the fight. Like I yeah. just have like a, a long list of stuff that I say don't, and I just like that's read it every smart. single time uh, that that's it's fight smart. week because you get like you said you get lost into it and 
one of those things could change your whole mood, your whole energy yeah, for the whole day. It really can, man. You get the wrong. It's like someone, someone. I forget who said this, but they were talking about how um, you have to think of diet not just in the food you consume, but also in the things you consume with your mind. Yeah. And if you're like consuming people saying they're gonna bury you in the desert, and all these fucking idiots, assholes telling you you're a loser and you're fat and you're gonna get killed, like, why are you reading that? Like, it's like eating junk food. Like, why are you eating Pringles? You're yeah, su- you're supposed to be eating healthy food. It's it's sad, honestly, because my uh, my girl, her her dad's uh, daughters like play softball college, and she was like telling me that you know she just got signed to Auburn, and she's like, uh, I get how do you, how do you deal with trolls? And I said. Softball players get trolls. It's like, yeah, their games. Like people are like, tweet out like the worst things to me. And I was like, oh, dude, I never even thought about it. And it's like girl softball, and it like when, makes so. When you have kids, you go to games, and when you go to games, you see how some parents like take it so goddamn seriously. Like I cheer for my kids, and I'm happy when they do well, and I always like try to cheer them up if it didn't go well, and try to give them like as many tips about keeping your head up and try to think straight. But some fucking parents, man, I saw this one dad who is telling his daughter, like, you keep missing the ball. Like, don't miss the ball. When that ball comes your way, make sure you catch that ball. It's like, hey, dummy, that's not going to help. First of all, you're going to put it in her head. Don't drop the ball. Instead of saying you're so good at catching the ball, I love when you go out there and you put on a show and you it all comes together smooth. I'm so proud of you. Just do your best and everything's going to be fine. Instead of that, he's like, "Don't drop that ball. Whatever you do, don't drop." Now you're now in her head is dropping the ball. Yeah, you don't know jack shit about sports, you fucking idiot. You're 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 coaching your kid. You're really poisoning them. You're poisoning their head with bad ideas. If they get if they do well, it's they're doing well in spite of you. Yeah, they're not doing well because of you. It's, so many of those dads, man, they're just living through their kids. It's, ugh. it's the worst. It's awful. Yeah. And like some of those kids don't even want to play the sport. Like, exactly. They, they hate it so much. And it's like they despise it. Yeah. And you look at them and you're like, you're at the top of the world and you, you're, you're going to make it to the NBA. And they're like, I don't even like it. Like, I don't even want to be here right now. Yeah. Like, it's awful. It's awful. But that kind of pressure that people put on their kids is like so counterintuitive. They don't understand. It's so bad for them. It's bad for the kid. Well, listen, Bilal, uh, it's been fun talking to you, man, and uh, I appreciate you. I'm a big fan. I'm always you, always excited watching your fight, and um, I'm proud that you're in the top of the heat, man. I'm excited for you. I know that you're you're in a great spot right now. It's like you, you're you right there, man. There's like this group of people at the very top of the list at 170 pounds, and you're right there. I, I can't wait to watch you fight again, man. Appreciate that, man. Seriously, that means a lot. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, tell everybody your Instagram, uh, social media, so they control you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys can follow me, BullyB170 on Instagram, uh, Twitter, any of those. Uh, I tried to do a TikTok. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, good for you. It's Chinese spyware. All right, brother. Thank you very much. Thank Bye, everybody. Much.